Welcome back to Normies Like Us, the podcast that reminds you it's hip to be square. This week, we gather up a bunch of a-holes to do what they do best. Guard the Galaxy. It's Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 on Normies Like Us. It really is good to have friends. There's a button under the handle. Press that in. That is a stupid design. All of the good and none of the bad. I don't need another speech by some impotent whack job whose mother didn't love him, rationalizing why he needs to conquer the universe. I'm not trying to conquer the universe. I'm perfecting it. You heard it up top. We've gathered a ragtag crew of fucking jerks, thieves, killers, assassins, dumbasses, raccoons, trees... That's right, all your favorites here, because we're talking The Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3, with your hosts, um, Colin Warlock. I like Colin Warlock. I guess I'll be uh, Mike the Podcaster. And this is uh, Star Jacob, Lord. That's my Star Lord. (laughs) That's my Star Lord right there. My Lords, my Star Lords, welcome. Yes, my Star Lords, welcome, welcome. Uh, mammals uh, and other species of all kind, welcome in. We're here to talk the latest Marvel uh, movie, the finale of um, the Guardians of the Galaxy trilogy. And if uh, you're watching on YouTube, I'm wearing a tank top because, you know, the guns are out because James Gunn, his final ride with the MCU moving over to DC. Wow. Uh, that extended wow. joke aside, um, we're happy that you're here. And um, if uh, audio is a little bit different, we just know that Colin is actually up in orbit right now, keeping an eye on That's the right. galaxy as uh, we'll, we'll discuss where things stand at the end of this movie after our full spoiler, spoiler discussion. But, you know, happy to have everyone here. In the middle of yeah, nowhere. Yeah, dude. Very excited to be talking Guardians of the Galaxy. I know we we're all kind of excited about it. Jacob, you seemed super pumped going to this one after maybe being let down by the last few Marvelies. Yeah, well, mm. you know, we all kind of feel the Marvel fatigue a little bit lately, but uh, Guardians, out of all the all the standalone franchises, the MCU, Guardians is really probably my favorite. And uh, wow, so so you know, I'm I was excited for this movie. Uh, you know, coming back to you know coming back to this team and everything. Um, I rewatched the first two volumes earlier this week, uh, and they still hold up. Uh, you know, they're really good. Um, and I think, yeah, it's the best trilogy in the MCU. Uh, we can say that now. Um, and I'm really excited to talk about it. You texted us you were crying from volume two. Yes. Mm-hmm. Two made me tear up a little bit. Three, maybe. We'll see. Um, well, I've definitely got moments to talk about that. <laughs> but how about you, Mike? Yeah. Did you rewatch these bad boys? Uh, I didn't rewatch them. I could have. I chose not to. Um <laughs> But uh, I do like these movies a lot. I mean, I saw the first Guardians, I think, 2014, 15, whenever it came out. It, like, it was the second movie of a double feature at the drive-in in Ohio. I was like home oh, for wow. the summer, and I got to see it at a drive-in, which was very cool. Uh, what was also, the other film? Do you remember? I, I don't. Um, I just want to say also, listeners at home, you know, we did uh, potentially on this mission save a bunch of children. And if you can hear them screaming outside and frolicking, that's what's going on. Uh, a lot of kids in this apartment, but anyway. Sure. Uh, I don't know. It's let me happen, just say but, this about, yeah. uh, hmm. you know, let me say this about the first two parts. Um, I'm glad I watched them before this one because I really think that this, the whole storyline works really well as as a three-movie 
uh, as a trilogy. And um, so revisiting those, you know, I hadn't seen those movies probably in a couple of years. Um, so revisiting those kind of refamiliarize myself with the characters and like what, what they were up to and everything. Uh, I think that really helped going into three. And I watched the holiday special uh, oh, wow. earlier last December, uh, a couple months ago. Right. So saw that. I also rewatched, you know, Avengers Affinity War and Endgame somewhat recently. So I knew mm. I'm familiar with their storyline from that. And, uh, you know, it's all, you know, it's all there in my head now. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, a great 3.5 movie if you count the holiday special, I guess, which I haven't seen yeah. yet. I mean, you recommend checking uh, it out? Is that additive to the fun. Guardians experience? Um, yeah, it, I mean, they, to this one, I'd say very so, right, Jacob? Hmm. Yeah, it's like it starts. It's it's a lot like the, how the third one starts. They're hanging out on nowhere. Um, it's almost a prequel. Yeah, and uh, like you know, a Peter Quill's sad about Gamora and stuff, so they decide to, as a Christmas present, uh, kidnap the actor Kevin Bacon, who's his favorite actor, right? Uh, Gamora <laughs> or uh, Mantis and favorite hero, not an actor, of course. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, of course, Drax and Mantis take it too far, as they usually do, and uh, shenanigans ensue. But it's pretty fun for, okay. for a holiday special, I think. Better than the Star yeah. Wars holiday special, that's for sure. Oh, geez. Yeah, I prefer never to talk about that again. Um, shout, out, shout out Cargo Bay. It's going to be my contract. Yeah, shout out to Cargo Bay for doing that one with us. Um, they're guarding a galaxy far, far away with us when we had to go through that <laughs> together. Uh, for sure. I guess they also set up, we'll see in this movie, slight early spoilers on everything, but like a little bit of Mantis and Peter being related somewhat. I guess that's more explained in the Christmas thing from what I understand. So Yeah, yeah that's, that's, uh, where that's the full-on plot. Yeah. 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 So it's like a prologue to the third movie if you do watch it. But I didn't watch anything and I still had, you know, a pretty good time. We'll get into detail. But I, I, I watched it kind of just off memory and I do like these movies and I, I think it's a pretty solid movie. So we'll just have to get there when we get there. But Colin, did you prep these two? Did you watch both or what? Well, one, I call it a prequel. Prologue, you're exactly right. That is what it is, Mike. <laughs> um, well, Mike, I'm a 33-year-old man, which means I did the thing I do, I guess, like every two months where I like dust off the old Disney Plus app, click mm -hmm. on it because a Star Wars thing or a Marvel thing is either released or coming up. And I did rewatch the Guardians of the Galaxies 1 and 2, did not rewatch the holiday special. Watch that in the past as well, like you, Jacob. Mm. I gotta say, I got some pretty hot takes about how this franchise um, was very inspired by and in an attempt to do, let's do a Star Wars in the Marvel Universe. But then I think, and what I'm going to argue this episode is, I mean, does it maybe have more influence than Star Wars now? I think this franchise is one of the most influential franchises in movie making right now. Well... Mm. Colin, I, I, you know, I kind of agree with you because I think especially the first Guardians movie really changed what the MCU was, like what it was before Guardians and what it was after Guardians. You know, the before Guardians was the Iron Man, um, Captain America, you know, setting up every, all those the uh, OG Avengers, right? And mm -hmm. doing their origin stories and everything. Very basic, you know, kind of uh, comic book movies. Guardians came in and with had so much personality and such strong character uh, that it really just changed the whole way MC, like the MCU movies are seen or, or the way they're made, like changed kind of the house style, if you will. Um, and so I think James Gunn had a lot to do with that, actually. Yeah. And it kind of came out of nowhere. Like I said, I remember seeing it at a drive-in theater, like on the bed of a pickup truck and a couch, so, you know, but it's like I have this 
I remember being amazed by how much better it was than I thought it would be because it's a lot of obscure characters and stuff. And the way they can introduce so many characters, develop this kind of chemistry between them quickly. And then also, I think the humor, kind of that Marvel quippiness that everyone's kind of getting burnt out. I think that was started here and it wasn't, it wasn't, yeah. you know, in bad taste anymore. It wasn't like overplayed. It was like the right, fresh thing. And then every movie, yeah, yeah that became yeah. added to how And that's style, something like that James said. Gunn sort of brought with him from his earlier movies and, and that kind of thing and really changed the whole game as far as MCU. And, you know, pretty much everyone's been trying to copy it ever since. And, uh, oh, yeah. The, the big ones that you see are literally Warner Brothers saying, make the Suicide Squad, not the, sorry, knock the the off, mm-hmm. Suicide Squad, make that Guardians of the Galaxy. People like freak team up movies teens especially yeah. and you're like unlikely families wow, that come together away from guardians of the galaxy yes uh-huh. James and you at that. dungeons and dragons is kind of guardians of the galaxy-esque yeah yeah i, well, I think it's something that. that james gunn has sort of perfected over the years between these three movies like you said suicide squad um the unlikely team up the sort of broken characters that come together form a bond and uh, family, wouldn't you yeah. say the fact with the peacemaker show kind too. of started going <laughs> like, aren't we kind of like the guardians of the earth? <laughs> yeah, basically. Hey, they're in space too now. Who knows? Who knows? Well, yeah, yeah. Well, I think, uh, yeah, that's a good place to leave it, I think, as we talk about the latest installment and then you know, uh, how we feel about it and maybe other influences on how we got here. So let's uh, dive right in and let's uh, talk about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. It's uh, Grab your Zoom and press play, baby, because we're about to dive right into it <laughs> right after this. talking guardians of the galaxy volume three no animals or podcasters were harmed in the recording of this episode let's say that up top as Correct. well mm-hmm. um i'm very excited to talk guardians of the galaxy we just talked about how we watched all these films let's kind of get there for a minute let's talk james gunn for a second jacob you very astutely said they kind of bring this guy in who's not like really a household name or like a well-known guy but they're going like we're going to pick you. And beyond that, us, Marvel, who got dealt like one winning hand in a poker game that was John Favreau. And just imagine that that poker game, that's that's like a four of a kind is John Favreau of spades. Mm-hmm. And the rest of Marvel making movies is just them trying to get four of a kind spades. All of a sudden, a royal flush comes up. This guy with this weird, unique style, and they see that they can win a different way. And they sort of let directors uh, start doing their own thing, basically, I'd say, right? Yeah. I mean, he's one of the, out of all the directors that have worked in the MCU, like his style kind of shines through the MCU-ness of it all. And like I said, I think it really changed how the future movies were made. Like, look at the way the Thor franchise went from very sort of self-serious to uh, almost parodying itself with uh, Ragnarok and Love and Thunder once uh, Taika Waititi got uh, his hands on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the whole, this whole cosmic, very colorful, uh, wacky universe. Like we've seen that in a lot of different MCU movies now. Um, and James Gunn, you know, he came from a background, like you said, of sort of an indie, uh, 
exploitation, almost kind of like genre background, similar to like Peter Jackson, um, his how he got his start before he did Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. And then James Gunn was also doing like writing the Scooby-Doo movies and, uh, <laughs> you know, doing Hollywood jobs like that. But this is like, like his kind of big breakthrough into the mainstream, which is, you know, comic book movies basically now are the mainstream, right? Mike, mm-hmm. do you like James Gunn? Did you like Troma films, which were the the films Jacob's talking about, those low budgets he came from? The Toxic Avenger, of course. Right. Yes. I'm most familiar with Toxic Avenger, and I know Troma's kind of um, legacy, you know, Fantastic Monsters of Filmland kind of yeah. coverage, stuff like that. You know, like it, it's one of those kind of shock, weird, um, also like right. dark comedy kind of houses and there's some great stuff but being able to use weird characters and make you feel sympathy for them is kind of a trauma house specialty how do i feel sympathetic for the toxic avenger but somehow i do right uh, so it's it's kind of perfect and, uh upbringing yeah yeah he did like tromeo and juliet and then later on he did uh slither which is a great alien monster movie with great effects practical effects and stuff I'm uh, doing super as like super, a warm up to the genre with uh, Elliot yeah. and uh, so, Ryan, Ryan Wilson. Obviously, he's been a you know a big comic book fan for a long time, and so getting getting these sort of bigger paychecks and getting to do more mainstream stuff, he kind of gets to let loose, and over time is kind of perfecting his style with these three movies. And then Suicide Squad comes out, and we all love that movie too. And that's a very like you said a very Guardians like uh, team up, unlikely you know family, as well as Peacemaker the show. So. I'm very excited for him with DC in the future too, but uh, wow. we won't even get into that too much. But I'm I'm very excited for James Gunn. Yeah, maybe I at the end we the can end, predict the future. Yeah, that'll be yeah. our big close now. What mm-hmm. what are we thinking about that? But that was a perfect setup. Let's yeah. let's then get into this. So he's hired to do Guardians of the Galaxy. Goes through this whole pool of people. We've done an episode on Guardians of the Galaxy before, right? I would imagine. Have we? Yeah, not? I think we've covered. I don't know. I don't know. But... Two would have came out. Pre? Around the time when we were first starting or something. Yeah. Potentially. I'll look um, it up as we discuss here, but maybe we could briefly summarize kind of where we, where the characters are, you know, kind of J- how we J- got here. James Gunn goes through this, this just everybody in Hollywood has everybody auditioned. Joseph Gordon-Levitt's going to be the lead of this movie. Um, Glenn Howerton, Dennis from It's Always Sun in Philadelphia is going to be the lead in this movie. Mm-hmm. No. He picks, I don't know if you guys remember this. A very overweight comedian from TV mm-hmm. named Chris Pratt, who was mainly known for being the husband of Anna Ferris, to be the next lead in the Marvel Universe, a character nobody was essentially familiar with. Did you, I mean, do you guys know anything about Guardians of the Galaxy's no, comics? I, I remember when it was first announced that they were making this movie, I was like, I don't even know what Guardians of the Galaxy is. I'm not like a huge yeah. Marvel comic books fan. So I was looking it up and I was like, oh, it's space adventure. That sounds cool. Yeah. But yeah, not like, really familiar the with the characters at all. Um, One of yeah. them's a, a raccoon, you said? What, I'm sorry, I there's a tree Rocket. to just say its name? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like I've, I knew the character of Rocket Raccoon before. That's a character that was like invented in the 60s or 70s and then kind of popped up throughout, you know, infrequently throughout like the 30 years of Marvel comics and i don't even think was in the guardians originally but was later added to the guardians lineup which has changed a lot over the over the years right with comics much as the avengers lineup shifts and who was on the main x-men you know it's it's a fluid thing in comics but um i only knew rocky raccoon from the beatles uh i was totally unfamiliar the name is right yeah yeah so there we go we're getting all the origins Um, especially in this it's it's bullshit and i will call this out real quick right now and say joe 
when this news was announced, was like, this is going to be awesome. I'm so excited. I love James Gunn, former host of the show, Joe. Joe. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was like, wow, it's going to be really cool to see what Marvel does when they blow one. And it just, like, fails. Like, mm -hmm. how they react to it. I it was a big no gamble at the time. Yeah. Because it was not a known character. It's not a known IP and it just goes to Chris show that Pratt you don't is not need... a box office draw it, by any stretch. Like Colin was saying, right. he's just kind of a TV guy. But you don't I need that big Con names. I didn't know these. I heard the Nova Corps was going to be in the first one. And me barely knowing the character Nova was like, oh, that's so insulting. Why aren't you doing the obvious thing? Why aren't you just following that Earth human, you know, who's in outer space doing stuff? Why aren't you doing like... Like, why would you waste time with this? Silver Surfer's right there, you know, calling out all these huge cosmic big names and this character, Adam Warlock, which we'll talk a little bit about later. Uh, and instead, he was like, no, Chris Pratt is Star-Lord. Uh, Jason Momoa, this guy who plays Conan the Barbarian, don't want him. I'm going to introduce to the world a first-time actor named Dave Batista, a wrestler, and cast yeah. him in his first movie role ever. Everybody said... This is going to be the worst movie ever made. Yeah. Right. It looked like, I mean, when you get an original sci-fi movie like this with it, and it's not original, but people might, you know, don't know the, uh, what it's based on. So to them, it's original. And they think like, oh, this is crazy. But um, to actually be a box office success is crazy. Yeah. And again, it shifted kind of the entire direction of, of, the MCU made Chris Pratt a household name. We got this whole cast gave, made, gave Dave Batista credibility, gave uh, Zoe Saldana a feather in her hat. You know, Bradley Cooper gets a check to talk like a raccoon. Uh, but it's all working, and James Gunn has proven himself, so that's yeah. great. Um, well, it's yeah. so well cast, and the team mm -hmm. is just, the characters are so well defined. That's why I think it works so well. And um, the other thing about the first one is, re-watching it, I realized like, how important it was to the overall lore of marvel of what was going on at the time where they're introducing thanos as a character in the mcu explaining what the infinity stones were that's the movie where they literally said infinity stones for the first time and explained sure. what they were and said mm -hmm. oh the tesseract that's one of them um this life stone or whatever that we're going after is one of them mm -hmm. and i didn't i totally forgot that they went into so much detail about what was going on at the time in that movie so it was a very important movie for the overall mcu at the time yeah, and again, the thing that I think people remember the most is how strong the cast was in the story. You know, Peter Quill, Earth Boy, listening to his little radio, you know, finding his way in the universe. You know, like the character stuff, there's a lot of MCU building, but really you just care about the, the, this crew, this ragtag group. Yeah, so. they're very relatable yeah. characters. And the other thing is, I'm drawn to this kind of premise. Anytime there's, you know, this unlikely family, this gang of outlaws teaming up together on a spaceship, going from job to job. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm talking Firefly. I'm talking Cowboy Bebop. Yep. I'm talking this. Anytime it's that premise, I'm immediately in. So, hell yeah, yeah, dog. Yeah, and it worked out. And it's a new thing. So, you know, we get a sequel. Um, we had Kurt Russell. We go into a little bit more of uh, Peter's yeah, yeah. family stuff. We let, we get Matt yeah. introduced in that second movie. You love, I love a good Kurt Russell appearance in anything, so that's fun. Absolutely. Um, and the thing with that, too, is like James Gunn, he wasn't super um, strict about the, the comic book lore, about following the canon. Because like Peter Quill in the comics, his dad is not Ego, the living planet. He's some mm -hmm. other cosmic guy. But for story purposes, he's like, 
let's just make it ego. Like it makes sense. And like, we can tell a good story that way. And so that's what you got to appreciate. Like you can respect the, you know, comic book canon, but also be, don't be afraid to depart from it. If it makes like sense for the story that you're telling. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a good lesson to learn from James. Yeah, well. I, I think I'm always ultimately going to see him as a storyteller, Jacob, not necessarily as a director. And I think in his bones, he is always going to follow. Yeah, I got to play with a character whose name is literally Ego. And I want to do a character who's like so over the top and self-absorbed. Like, come on, like, that's perfect. And you're like, yeah, yeah. it is. <laughs> yep, yep. Right. And like you see it like later too, it's like Suicide Squad or Peacemaker. It's like we're we're gonna yeah. use Vigilante and Judo Master. All right, we're doing that, yeah. and and that's gonna be a thing, you know. And it's like okay, yeah. you know. And Peacemaker, another character that was, you know, in Suicide Squad as sort of a side character or the villain. He's like, you know what? Let me make a whole show about this character uh, and humanize him in a way where you're like rooting for him at the end of the show. Yeah. Um, and he has wild. a lot of father issues too. So I guess that's. Yeah, I'm an idea machine. You know, I clearly never sleep. I'm uh, essentially a maniac uh, if you go by my social media uh, constant Mm -hmm. updates, but who can literally look at the characters no one else looks at and says, well, I've got a whole story in my mind of who that person is. And it's great. And it's unique. Yeah. Yeah. To to create emotional depth from someone named the rat catcher, too. (laughs) Oh, right. Well, polka right. dot, man. It's oh, so he, he has this in his DNA. Um, and, you know, he, there's a little bit of old tweets going on and he had to take it. We weren't sure if we were going to well, get three with him, right? What a, yeah. what a ride we were on. What a ride we've yeah. been he's on. That's a, how he ended up going of, to DC. Yeah. Yeah. He's an edgy. He's got an edgy sense of humor. Early 2000s, kind of. I mean, that's when he first broke out in, in his career doing that kind of sense of humor. So. You know, think, but people change over the years. So I think it doesn't age well, but I don't think he's defined by that. Let's say no, right? So, Um, but it—that's what enabled DC to say, "Hey, make a Suicide Squad," and then Marvel's like, "Oh shit, maybe we actually need this guy's talent." And like, please do the third movie, and that's kind of how we get him back. Right wing trolls tried to get him fired, and it failed. Mike Cernovich, this uh, right wing pundit, of course, yes, dug up all these old tweets, especially one where he goes to like a pedophilia themed party dressed as a uh, Catholic priest, I believe. Now, let me just say, raised. By Frank Lloyd, essentially, the, the trauma guy, right, uh, who, who is in these movies. Uh, I believe that's his name. Sorry if I'm messing that up. Mm-hmm. Uh, who I think in those early showbiz ways was not even just the edgy humor, Jacob, but just was like, if you are as shocking as possible, you will get noticed. And getting noticed is how you get to what you want, which is a career in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for anybody outside to be like, well, how dare you have done those things to do that? It's like, but that was the point. Like you, that's why he's here. You missed all of it. Right. Right. And also, you know, what worked as humor in the 2000s doesn't always hold up today. No. And it shouldn't be held, you know, it's using cancel culture, so to speak, you know, as much as I hate that term or don't even want to really discuss it. Acknowledge that um, whole thing. It's sort of weaponizing it against him without context, basically, where it's like, if you're an entertainer, like you you're probably going to have some jokes in your history that don't hold up super well uh, today, but that's just, you know, entertainers take risks sometimes. So, yeah. You know. and, and so, so that, that is the whole thing that went down. It did create, you know, as he leaves Marvel, comes back, you know, but so that's, that's circumstances came it's back to finish this. Goes to DC comes back. Yes. Yeah. DC is yeah. like, well, if you don't want him, we'll take him. But yeah. One last thing I just want to say about James Gunn before we start talking about, 
Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three um, mm-hmm. to show you know what the difference between you know good filmmakers and bad filmmakers taking the same properties. Just look at you know the first the the Suicide Squad versus the, Suicide yeah. Squad. Um, the yeah, uh, same IP right, same characters, uh, totally different product in terms of quality. So it just shows goes to show like what a good filmmaker can really do with something like a superhero ip yeah i I think his strength is no matter what he's working on he's able to inject like humanity and heart into it in unexpected ways where like the suicide squad is like let's just be cool as heck and he's like we could be cool as heck but i also want like emotions to exist here and it's yeah it's surprising how yeah, how he can mine those depths as Colin said. He's a storyteller first and foremost, and he latches. And on even taking some of the same characters scary. like Harley Quinn, mm-hmm. who obviously was the standout of the Suicide Squad, but you know, giving her a new angle and then having you know all these different characters. So, I yeah. just I just love James Gunn, and I'm just excited for his future. Yeah, and and we'll DC what happens with all that uh, later on. But for now, we're going to marvel at his latest uh, project. This is uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Jumping into the plot, full spoilers, uh, you know, whatever, anything goes here uh, right after this. But I'm I'm a We're back here on Normies Like Us. We're about to dive in, truly, talking Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Crank it up. Uh, put in your mixtape. Let's jam out. Let's zoom. Play on your Zoom. Play on your Zoom. Incredible. Yeah, we upgraded from the... Uh, Zoom sales go up? Wow, I wonder. Do they exist on still? eBay. Yeah, on eBay. Will people find them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You put the exact same... Uh, you, you could only have the guardian soundtracks on them that's the rules you know right i, I don't make them but uh cool. yeah you know we're here back you know we have guardians one we get a little bit of briefly you know rowan the accuser and the little dance battle and oh this is my family in space peter quill stuff and then second one uh oh this is my adoptive dad in space peter quill we're all a family it's always about family and the rockets kind of pushing people away in that film just in brief summary right like so it's yes. all about the family dynamic and the relationships you know, Peter and Gamora, will they, won't they? By the second movie, they do. And we get Mantis brought in the second film. So we've had some and time each of them, with them. Yeah, each character has sort of their own trauma in their past that sort of connects them all. Like Gamora having her her dad being Thanos and stuff and being, you know, having mm-hmm. been tortured and all that. And Drax having lost his, his wife and his daughter in the past. And so everyone's everyone's coming from like a broken past and kind of finding this unlikely family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Yeah. Friends are the family you choose kind of thing. And, you know, that's a big theme of this. Fast and the Furious claims it, but this is also right. taking its stake. Uh, it's pound of flesh and we are family as well. And that's a big part of, uh, of I think, the third movie. But there's also a little bit more of individual ownership of, of taking owning your own shit, right? And uh, yeah. figuring that out. So we'll, we'll jump into it. Yeah. But, you know, obviously, the, all these movies are, they have an emotional center. And so... There are lasers and fights and backflipping and swords, but really it's about the characters. So um, that's what I'm excited most to talk about is some of the story beats and things like that. But yeah. Yeah. And it's about the characters and their relationships with each other. And that's kind of what I like about it is like they're this dysfunctional family and they'll, they'll argue and they'll yell at each other, but then they'll like, you know, talk it out or like they'll, 
you know, figure out what's, what's wrong. Like, that's what I really like. And, um, rocket is a character in particular that I like a lot. Uh, maybe my favorite character in the guardians movies. Like, I, I think he's really good in the first two. Mm-hmm. He has a really big part in infinity war and Endgame, which is kind of you forget. wild. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in Thor, man. Yeah. Teams up with Thor. He's the only guardian that doesn't get like dusted at the end of mm-hmm. infinity war. So he's, yeah, he's a big part of Endgame too. Peter kind of yes. almost fucks everybody because he's too yeah. emotional over Gamora. Yeah. Which they talk about gone. in Jacob, this movie. Yeah. What, but what is that, do you think? Because I've never realized that he pointed that out. That's like, it only costs so much to pay Bradley, and we already have like 10 lines of his recorded that we can just build a performance around in yeah. Infinity War. <laughs> I don't know, but um, like his team up with Thor is like super fun. Uh, like mm-hmm. when, I mean, Thor interacting with the whole Guardians in Infinity Wars is, is uh, standout scenes yeah. for me. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, and Chris, you know, like Peter Quill being jealous of him and everything. And like, yeah, all um, that works really, really well. <laughs> yeah. You know but what? He, yeah. You just kind of made me very sad realizing that he went through all that time. Like all the others did in Endgame, but he's the only guardian who does that kind of colors this whole movie even more for me. Jesus Christ. Yeah. dude! And then yeah. he has a scene in infinity war where he's talking to Thor and Thor's talking about everything he's lost and stuff. And he's like, I don't really have anything more that I can lose. And then uh, Rocket's like, well, me personally, I have a lot that I could lose, like me personally. And it's like this mm-hmm. this really, you know, quick scene in the Infinity War that's like, damn, like Rocket, you know, he's he's not ready to lose his family that he just sort he of loves met. his buddies. Yeah. Right. Oh, man, it's good to have friends, you know. Um, yeah. Shit. That's wild. To and, think I mean, that, the, yeah. and then his whole heart, his whole arc in the second part is being like, like Peter telling him, like, you're you're pushing everyone away because you're so scared to actually like have a relationship with anyone that's it's not you know combative that um you're 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 so scared of making a real connection that you push everyone away and yes. that's his, that's his big arc in the second one and then him and yondu sort of bond over that because yondu's like you're me like and if you keep going down this path you're gonna end up alone in life because you have no friends um and rocket kind of has the realization so i was super yes. excited going into three knowing that it was a rocket centric plot yeah. and uh i was just you know super ready for that yeah. i think he's one of the best i also just want to tag on to what you just said the big thing i noticed this time watching number two is they really do set up that rocket is the one who likes the music he's it he has taken that away from quill and of course this film kind of cements that so yeah and they set up the zoom too, like or the zoom um you know ego smashes his his walkman so he's he's like gets to move on to the zoom now and he gets to have 90s songs not just 70s songs that's yeah. cool they got a couple decades um, up to the 2000s now over 300 yeah. songs and it blows yeah. his mind over 300 you can't believe it yeah. but i mean all, all three of these movies have you know a lot of bangers in the in the soundtrack like james yeah. gunn is great at the needle drops mm-hmm. um and a great at making them you know sort of uh make sense thematically where with the whole Peter Quill being so into music in the first two and in using his Walkman. So you can play these, you can drop these jams into this movie and have it make sense. Like that the, the characters actually listen to that. I, I always thought that was like pretty clever. It's a little bit yes, I, I did right in there, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, right. Music well, let's, let's, let's go. Let's follow on that beat. Let's, let's get into volume three. So, the big thing you need to know from the holiday special is they have moved into the planet from the first film that's the the head of the Celestial called Nowhere. They are setting up a business now. Now, uh, the 
opening of this film is a super sad shot of a bunch of raccoons, little baby raccoons being taken that looks very realistic and sad. Uh, mm-hmm. And again, yes. no animals are harmed in this. And then it goes to, I assume, a scene that made you cream your jeans, Jacob, because you just said you love Rocket so much. Yes. You love this diegetic music. The opening of this film after that super sad raccoon thing is maybe this sweet baby uh, adult raccoon in clothes, who I guess is remembering that scene, sitting and listening into a PA system that now plays on this whole planet that they're taking care of. Uh, your favorite band of all time, an acoustic cover of Radiohead's Creep that he sings yes. along to. Yeah, as soon as I yeah. saw that scene, I was like, man, this movie's about to be the best. Like, the I'm best. so excited. My favorite character in The Guardians listening to my favorite band. He's singing your song. Like, he's just, yeah. like, doing it. I oh. like, yeah, you're right. Like, Rocket really picked up his love of music and, like, um, in, like, uh, Earth culture, pop culture from Peter Quill. I feel like mm-hmm. the rest of the Guardians kind of do too, to now where they're all like into music and stuff, which is very fun. Um, and Rocket, you know, he's he's identity, he's feeling a little emo. He's playing Creep, you know? Yeah. One of the original emo ballads. He's choosing what to play that through the whole little here? city. Yeah. Yeah. I like that he's the DJ it's of sad. nowhere. Yeah. He's, yeah. You know, he's wearing his heart on his sleeve almost. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, introducing the Zune, you get some more, you know, more 90s bangers like Radiohead, the Flaming Lips. Um, uh, in the meantime, by Space Hog, which is a you know a classic '90s mm-hmm. jam, uh, as well as some you know more throwback ones too that sound more like the Earth, Wind, uh, and Fire. First two, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yeah. yeah. So I was super you know super happy with the needle drops in this for sure. Yeah, but we see you know um, he he's kind of bummed. Peter's drunk because he's upset about Gamora. You know they're still fixing up the shop, getting it ready to open. But then this thing opens with a bang because Adam just fucking. Out of nowhere, here we're going. Yeah. You know, this movie just this starts. Is, yeah, it's very crazy how this movie starts. It's like this slow wraparound around nowhere. You're seeing all all the characters, the extended Guardians family. You see Cosmo, you see Howard the Duck, you know, all your favorites are out there. Uh, the and this sign. is kind of the status quo that we left the holiday special at, where they're all hanging out at this new Guardians HQ on nowhere. Uh, and in the holiday special, um, you know, Peter's very drunk and sad about, you know, Gamora and stuff. And this is the other thing about this trilogy that you need to know is that the Peter Gamora relationship uh, was changed so much by what happened, obviously, in Infinity War and Endgame. It's yeah. a really important part of their story because essentially Gamora died. If you, if you haven't seen these movies called The Avengers, uh, Gamora hey. dies. <laughs> Welcome uh, to Earth. Yeah. Uh, Hello. How are you? you? Been? <laughs> yeah. um, Come in peace. So she dies, but then a past version of her comes to the present. And this is a version that does not remember anything of the last couple of years. So anything from the first two movies, it's pre her meeting Peter Quill. Um, so she's t- totally different personality. And I mean, that's just really tragic because that's like losing, you know, losing the love of your life and then basically having her come back from the dead, but not really because she's, doesn't you know think of you the same way that's like losing someone twice essentially yeah i mean you're still carrying that um that baggage but the other person has no even contact it's not even like someone fell out of love with you they never had you know it's like it's a completely different person that's got to be a hard worse than death really yeah uh, yeah. not to jump ahead too much but like that that's just i just really feel bad for like the character peter quill in this situation because yeah he's trying to move on but he can't you know because she's still there Literally Jacob, right there. what do you think 
narratively about being handed that football as a storyteller where like well you're like what's happened to my characters yes. since I've yeah seen i know certain things about so james gunn has said nothing like too antagonistic or anything but he sort of hinted that he wasn't super happy about what they did with the characters in infinity war and Endgame because he didn't really have a say over that so it's like basically you're taking these characters that you made two movies with and, you know, you really care about and then throwing them into this. And this is the downside of the MCU formula, right? Is that James Gunn, the creator essentially of these characters, has no say over what happens to them in these big event movies. And Gamora gets killed off. Uh, and, you know, so he gets handed that for the third movie. He's got to wrap up this whole trilogy. It's like, where do you go from there? Yeah. And their relationship kind of just starting at the end of volume two. So it's just it was sort of cut short. Um and so that's the, I guess that's the downside of the MCU, right? Right. And I, I, from my understanding, you had these planned as a trilogy, more or less from the start, at least broad strokes. And so to be like, well, everything I was going to do with Peter and Gamora is gone. It's like a frustrating yeah. thing. But I think they find a way to navigate it and bring up some interesting stuff as, as we go through this. Um, as yeah. Well. I think they sort of took a subtle shot at that when, when they're in the elevator and yeah. uh, Peter Quill sort of relating everything that happened in Infinity War and Endgame and then Nebula's Be like, that's that's about it. Yep. Why did she come back because, from the cliff? I don't know. <laughs> right. Because up until that point, Jacob, the early scenes are, remember, she has amnesia, is kind of what they keep saying to the audience. And I found that very fascinating until Quill does call out the absurdity of it all. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did not like it. She just never had those memories yeah. in the first place. She's literally she's a, a different person. Younger version of that character yeah, from yeah, another universe. But what a shorthand to be like, what am I supposed to fucking say to the audience? Like, that's what mm -hmm. it felt like to me it's like sorry like you know they did the stuff with these characters that i didn't expect so now i'm kind of it's it feel if almost felt like what happened with the star wars trilogy where it's like two different people you know ryan johnson setting stuff up and then jj abrams coming in and be like actually we're doing it totally differently so right yeah but i think he does he found a good way like with that tongue-in-cheek reference i really enjoyed that you know uh, laying it all out there and how absurd it is um uh, it's handled as good as it can and um we go to a lot of places emotionally in this movie. So I guess I just want to kick off like the main plot is um, yeah. Adam wants rocket. The, the grand evolutionary will get, you know, is there, he, he wants his property. Rocket has obviously been genetically modified and somebody wants to reacquire him for whatever reason. And, and Adam has yeah. been tasked with coming to get him. We get the big fight and uh, this is a pretty threatening villain. Yeah. And initially. Adam, Adam Warlock is another yeah. carryover from the end of two was hinted at. So if you remember in two, there was these people called the sovereign who are those gold people mm -hmm. uh, and the high priestess of the sovereign uh, really wants to. So basically they do a job for them at the beginning of two rocket steals some batteries from them. And then they're like hunting them through the rest of the movie. Yep. Um, and then, so they're, and then Adam is hinted at being, being born, I guess at the end of two, uh, and now we see him and his mother is the, the high priestess, essentially. So that's continuing over from two. They're still trying to get Rocket. And they're also, we find out the Sovereign was created by the high evolutionary. And yes. there you go. Who else? Let me Rocket. throw out some names real quick. Uh, yeah. Aisha, leader of the Sovereign, Elizabeth Debicki, mm -hmm. Will Poulter introducing as Adam Warlock, this huge character that everybody with that post credit scene, Jacob, was like, oh, my God. Are we finally getting Adam Warlock? 
It's, I'm a kid who grew up in the 90s when things were extreme. He's the one character I've ever wanted. And you're like, okay. And the Mm -hmm. High Evolutionary, just because you said him, uh, Chekwadi Aduji, who, uh, as you've pointed out, is from Peacemaker as well. So uh, all sort of, uh, maybe not all, but a a good stable of uh, James Gunn regulars. Yeah, he likes to have his regulars. You know, he's got his brother, Sean Gunn. Michael Rooker, a James Gunn mainstay going way back. Um, Mm -hmm. Sylvester Stallone. Steve Agee. Yeah, Sylvester Stallone was in the second one. Steve Agee played a Ravager in the second one as well, uh, who was also in uh, Peacemaker. And then his wife, Jennifer Holland, uh, is also in this movie in a small part. She was in Peacemaker. uh, And she played the the lady in the... And they're in that facility that's like talking on the loudspeaker or whatever. She's that lady. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. And... um. Yeah, and obviously Stallone, King Shark. So yeah, a lot of his uh, collaborators in on this. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stallone returning as a Ravager. He was seen in the second one, as well as Michelle Yeoh, who I forgot played another Captain of the Ravagers. Um, so she's been in two MCU franchises because she was also in Shang Chi. She's in the cap, and she's a captain of several different spaceships across universes too. If we count, you know, that's discovery. That's right. Seems the like, multiverse. Yeah. And let me just say, she's as far everything as everywhere all at once, man. If they're going to make any spinoff from Guardians, I think they should do a Ravager spinoff. That's what I would probably most want to see is like some. Cool I have Ravagers. my own pitch. I'll sell at the end of this. Okay. Yeah, I have an idea too, but that would not be bad either. Um, I don't, we'll see if Zoe Saldana is going to continue. You know, this is the end. A lot of mm. people are maybe taking a break. We'll see what happens. But yeah. getting into it, they want Rocket, and in this, Adam Warlock pretty much wrecks everybody it takes a pretty huge effort he's basically and he, superman mike yeah basically superman yeah and he uh he, he almost kills rockets our team's attention is divided they're trying to heal him with these medical packs but he's got a safeguard you can't use those because of the copyright over his dna from whatever the evolutionary so now they need to find the code that'll bypass that and they only have 48 hours so we get a ticking clock element we're our best friends in trouble and uh we're, we're off right the off the bat it's like serious time right like people are getting hurt it's, it's filmed like great dark shit yeah like yeah. bones are getting broken by... yeah yes yeah oh all nebula's body horror stuff i was not into but mantis's yes. arm nebula is just can, snapped like, like nothing mantis yeah so it's you're nuts. like oh shit like things is things are going down rockets head is ripped hurt. off <laughs> this yeah. stuff is crazy in the first fight and it's filmed great um, honestly some of the camera turns it does look good but anyway i'll be yeah now. A lot of homages like the thing and stuff. Yeah, Mike, totally. Mm-hmm. So they're like, yeah, we got to we gotta save Rocket. Peter Quill's like, I guess I can't lose my best friend. You know, my dad, Yondu, my adopted dad died. My The love of my life, Gamora died. Like, I can't mm-hmm. lose anybody else. You know, his mom died, of course, when he was young. So he's had a lot of people close to him die. So he, he can't lose someone else. So he's very... Drax says, second best friend. <laughs> yeah. yeah, always second best friend, yep. Um, so yeah, he can't lose anybody else. This is it. This is do or die for him. We're going to save Rocket no matter what. Um, and this requires then enlisting. Well, they begin going on the mission with Nebula. I, I'm not sure if I'm skipping anything, but I think. Well, we should say while this, this yeah. is happening. Yeah. yeah. There's flashbacks to Rocket's yeah. past. You see yes. him, how he came to be, what he is now, where he's in this lab. The high evolutionary is like genetically or like surgically modifying him putting like machine parts on him and stuff altering his brain doing whatever making him super smart uh and then he's you know in this uh cage and he meets you know some other friends in the lab some other genetically modified animals 
Uh, mm-hmm. And you just see his tragic backstory, right? Yeah. And do we want to, yeah. I think it's safe to just tackle the backstory now and then yeah. the rescue yeah, plot, yeah. right? It's interspersed totally. throughout the film, but I think we can just yeah. kind of tackle it here because, you know, I think that's fine. Um, now, again, here's some great uh, James Gunn just throwing the cannon out, Jacob. It's not High Evolutionary in the comic books who does this. High, high right. Evolutionary does create a planet called Counter-Earth that is, in popu- is populated by the Animen, who are uh, enemies to the X-Men. Mm. Sure, all that stuff, we'll get to it. Um, I believe it's called Microworld is the Len Wiseman created uh, where Rocket Raccoon originates from. It's a place populated with like a bunch of other weird little animal people. One of them, a talking walrus named Walrus, uh, Lila the Sea Otter, and then I believe one called Speedy the Rabbit. Now, what we instead get in this film is probably what we should spend a little time talking about, which is the level of comfort and sort of like what the message about this film is, but like what we have with all this, because I got to say real quick, guys, as somebody who just adopted a pet for the first time, mm-hmm. uh, this stuff was very grim to think yeah. about and watch and look at. Well, yeah, yeah, we should say it's a very dark, grim movie. Like it's dealing with some real shit here. I feel like there should yes. be a trigger warning in front of this movie for like yes. animal cruelty. If you're you know, sensitive to that, yeah. Yeah. We're talking about eugenics. We're talking about these big moral questions of like, you know, this guy is essentially torturing animals to try to make them these like super smart beings. Uh, and he's, you know, a really bad guy. And if they come up yeah. short, we're, we're on what it's like, I think it's group 89. So we're on an 89th yeah. attempt of him trying to make the perfect society. And then we figure out when it doesn't go right, they all just get obliterated. So he's also yeah. genociding entire And I thought groups. this villain, the high evolutionary, is one of the most, you know, seriously like villainous, like the one of the most evil villains that we've had in an MCU movie mm-hmm. He's not quipping. He's not making jokes or anything. He's just very serious and very evil. And he just has what he thinks is his purpose. And he doesn't yes. care about anything else, right? You have specifically called out in the past in this podcast, Jacob, the MCU problem of mm. I'm the, I think in our Moon Knight episode, I'm the villain who, you know, I'm doing the right thing because. And you're like, right. Mm-hmm. sympathetic villains this villain yes, is not yes. sympathetic at all like you know right away he's not a good guy and over the course of the movie you just hate him more and more after all the terrible things you see right him do. and the way and again yeah we're not seeing hashtag high evolutionary was right anywhere like Thanos, no. right like he's completely irredeemable it helps obviously because no one likes an animal abuser an abuser of any form so it's easy to frame no. him as a complete villain but he is a terrible uh, very well performed, by the way, but the way he's kind of framed as this like abusive father figure almost to a degree with, yeah. you know, Rocket. His purpose um, is generally that, or his mission is to make like the perfect beings, right? Like humans, they have a lot of positive qualities, but they also have a lot of negative qualities. He's trying yes. to make, you know, beings that will live in perfect harmony and, you know, crime, there'll be no crime and all this stuff. So he's like, there is no God. I'm just stepping in and trying right. to what a lie right jesus christ some yeah. corners of the universe think he's god uh, i think another character says at some point because he created the sovereign right. like he's their yes. god and it's shown explicitly that they're terrified of him because what's he interesting out. yeah he's he's doing all these experiments and all the beings that he's created um 
for some reason, this little raccoon who has become sentient can now talk and is like super into science and gadgets and stuff. For some reason, he knows how to fix this thing that even the high evolutionary, the person who created him didn't, could not figure out. So the, the, the creation is now surpassing the creator in like knowing something that the creator doesn't know. And Mm -hmm. he's like super freaked out about this. And he's like trying to figure out what it is, what is so special about this little raccoon uh, that none of his other subjects has really shown the signs of, right? But boy, mm-hmm. that perfect dichotomy, Jacob, for that to be the message mm-hmm. of this film and to the point yeah. Mike just made about sort of the allegorical drunk dad or maybe He's the nice dad when is you're useful, pressure on the but son. then if he gets upset, yeah. The, the bipolar-esque relationship he has with this quest of pursuit of if you're trying to make a perfect society, then yes, inherently, shouldn't they be better than you? But that dad, that evil dad quality of my son could never be beyond me because I made my son mm-hmm. is a very real thing. And for James Gunn to be like, yeah, that's the villain of a popcorn blockbuster where I have to wrap up all this other dumb shit you people have done where I get right. to tell my little story about my like raccoon stand in me as a kid. Like it's that's wild. It's, and it's interesting. Dark. I mean, James Gunn deals a lot with like, father issues uh you know in peacemaker in volume two Mm -hmm. and i think the parallels with volume two are very interesting with ego where ego is trying to not is trying to create the universe in his image right he's trying to take over everything and make it in his image that's his overall plan Mm -hmm. um so there's a lot of interesting parallels between him and the high evolutionary but it's yeah. it's the I need to use my son abuser. It's the guy who's gone missing, but Star Lord is now famous because he saved the galaxy. Hey, can, you know, could I borrow like ten bucks and also use your DNA to spread my seed? You know, all right. of the universe versus right. the Chuck Waddy evolutionary, mm-hmm. which is like so interestingly the other side of like the rich dad in his mansion who like the prodigal son returns and he's like, "What are you doing back here? I couldn't care less that you're here." Or yeah, but also he's trying for years. Yeah, over the years, yeah, he's been. Tr- he's like, he he's like this little creature is like useless in every way. But for some reason, he has something that none of these other superior creatures that I've made have been able to do. And it's for years it's been like bugging him that he like this one this thing has something special that none of his other creations have, and he can't figure out why. He's obsessed. And the with Robert it. Patrick dad is like. I just hate you because I'm yeah. just being gay. Which is like, again, you. a very interesting angle. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, to see someone like John Cena look so small in the presence of that mean of a person, yes. wow, powerful stuff to do, you know? Yes. So he's very great, good Mike. with this kind of thing. And to do it now, when you see him, when you see uh, the high evolutionary stumble drunkenly into the bedroom, so to speak, that one time after his sessions, and it's like, come on, dude, come on, you, need, you need to come out here. And it's like, this is insane and they're cute little animals that this is all happening and it's like whole yeah. throw the ball shit i told all my friends you could throw the ball <laughs> yeah the ball. It's just like, you're just like a kid and you're like i just like i was just asleep 10 minutes ago like i can't yeah. deal with this Look yeah bad. absolutely it's not Flashba- these flashbacks are like really hard to watch like it was heartbreaking stuff yes. right here's what i'll say super strong material in what we're seeing. I think this is the best of the movie. I think we can all agree with that. Mm-hmm. James Gunn has now kind of come out and said, like, this was all originally just a Rocket and Groot side movie. And it makes sense because, like, it's just him giving backstory. Not a fan of 
any storytelling that has to involve 50% of your narrative being told through unrelated flashback to just fill in backstory. But I give James Gunn the benefit of the doubt because it's not, I'm not going to call it a lazy storytelling technique. It's just one I'm not a fan of, but he's never relied on it before. So it's maybe him just exploring the form, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I was surprised once it, uh, when it was cutting back and forth with the flashbacks, I was like, this is new for the guardians, but also like rockets, like what rocket went through in this movie is he starts out listening to this song. All of a sudden he gets attacked out of nowhere and then is like dying. And so he's like the next in a coma acts. or whatever. Yeah. So he's, so but I kind of see it as like, he's reliving his old memories in his head. And but then he just, he wakes are. up on his, at his dad's house and they're like, we're at your dad's house. He's like, let's go kill my dad. <laughs> yeah. Like, That's kind yeah. of the movie. But first him. he sees his, all I've been thinking about old, is how shitty this guy friend. is. Yeah. Let's kill him. Yeah. He sees yeah. his old yeah. friends. He goes to the Harry, to join Harry Potter uh, train station in yeah. heaven. Yeah, and his his friends tell him not yet, so he has to go back to life and uh, kill his. Yeah, father. and previously, yeah. like I mean, again, you know, some content warning, but he discovers like because drunk dad's like, "You're not going to the cool planet. That was a lie. You're just a piece of shit." And then when he goes back down and tells his buddies, like yo, we're not getting out of here. And he tries to help him escape and he's able to make the key card. But then, uh, unfortunately, all of his friends get shot and it's shocking and well, sad then and tragic. My, then what happens in this Marvel movie is they're not hit by lasers. They're not disintegrated. Nobody uses magical powers. A man pulls a gun out and shoots three animals in front of another animal with a handgun that fires bullets. And mm-hmm. in this climate... Yeah. I was like, this is horrifying. And these are talking, yeah. sentient beings. That are essentially um, children-ish age, you assume. Well, and, and, thought, and that I also yeah. want to say, I, I think are very coded, just to go back to their comic roots, a thing mm-hmm. called Walrus, Wal-R-Us, a very silly, like, walrus in a space outfit that's like a comic cartoon thing, mm-hmm. is a little different than, I think, something that's coded as being in a wheelchair. Or uh, the, the, the rabbit character, I think, yes, well, Floor. yes, but but Lila, maybe they have physical handicaps. You know what I mean? Right, their their stands right. are yeah. differently, differently abled, abled people. Too. Absolutely. Yes. Right. And um, well, even going back to an earlier flashback when we see. So after Rocket's been first worked on uh, and he's like bleeding from the head because he's been surgery on his brain oh. uh, and he gets thrown into this cage. His first words that you he- ever hear him use is hurts right he says hurts as a little baby raccoon and his friend the otter helps lila and um yeah it's really tough and then later you know he's he's doing all this super science stuff and then the way that the high evolutionary like breaks it to him like oh you could figure out all this science stuff but you can figure out that you're not going to the new world Mm -hmm. um it's just like so brutal this is called music you idiot yeah Yeah. (laughs) oh man man but such a well-crafted villain, really, just to make you hate them so much. He's so sinister, yeah. you know, he's not, not like Ego, but yeah, he nothing matters but his mission. Everything's expendable, and God, when Rocket scratches his face to shit and escapes, you know, shoots some people on his way out, you know, presumably the first time he's used a firearm, he's going to do that for yeah. the rest of his life. Um, absolutely wild flashback, he- and we know that's where all of his trauma and pain has been from. That's why he's pushing everybody yeah. away, but... Go ahead. Yeah. And it's been hinted at before that, you know, he obviously had a traumatic history, but now we finally learn what happened. And just his friends, you know, 
talking about getting out, talking about seeing the sky and all this stuff. <sighs> like, man. And then we get, of course, his name, Rocket Raccoon, which is just like a silly name, right? A character invented in the 70s because of the Beatles song, Rocky mm-hmm. Raccoon, right? Um, they, James Gunn can take that and give it significance within the story where he's he names himself Rocket because he, he you know, sees rockets and he's like, I want to you know, fly on rockets and, and I just find get away and go with here. my friends. I'm going to build a rocket for my friends and we're all going to go together. Yeah. Like, oh my God. That's some heartbreaking shit. We deserve to be happy and not in a cage. I, it gives me a little bit of cyberpunk 2077 vibes because there's a lot of references of looking to the sky, thinking of a better life. Like even at the end yeah. of the show, David looks up, he sees Lucy from looking up. So the idea of sky and, and sometimes people with that ambition, not getting it is very sad. Absolutely. Um, when you're tra- when you're trapped in your life, whether you're in a a real mm-hmm. cage or a metaphorical cage of your life, you know mm-hmm. the sky is a way to escape. And like in Cyberpunk, going to the moon, right? And yeah, you know, having you know having a little vacation on the moon and being able to just relax and be on the moon, like that was like their dream, their ultimate dream of like getting away from the city and everything, right? Just get away from it. And he unfortunately isn't able to. So to bring it back to when he's on the ropes like it's going bad his recovery and he sees them at the pearly gates essentially and they're saying it not yet and i'm like yeah he was ready he was ready to say you know what like i'm tired we're all here it's been a hard life yeah and again seeing his whole arc from the first two movies through the avengers infinity war and endgame like it really makes it hit harder like you know knowing the character of rocket and i think that's really a testament to how strong the the writing is in the character writing like man the, really the amount I feel for this raccoon. Um, and, and Nebula even remarks like, yo, what, what they did to him is nothing like what Thanos did to me and Gamora. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's a cakewalk, which is oh, shocking. Let's, let's get into that real quick. Moment where I cried. So I'll point out <laughs> the, the, the three where I, we all saw this together. Let's say that real quick. Yeah. Yeah. We uh, all went Mike, together. Mike came down to the Valley, brought our boy X again. Mm-hmm. We hung out Super Mario style. Watch this bad boy together. Two Chris Pratt's back to um, back, baby. Uh, I def- <laughs> had to turn away from X at one point, uh, where kind of the initial stuff where you were meeting them and he was saying the hurts, like that was. I was mm-hmm. more than anything kind of like looking away and being like, "Ooh, this whole movie's going to be intense. Get ready." Yeah. When they watched the video of what happened to Rocket, like all his friends see his backstory, I cried because that felt like such an invasion of privacy to see like the trauma he'd been through, but also right. like very relieving that his friends like finally knew it and stuff. Like it just felt it was very emotionally it was a great payoff because mm-hmm. James Gunn's a great writer. So yeah. yeah. No, that's that's it's just wild what they did with making me feel these emotions for this raccoon. And and I think yeah. in, a, in a second, maybe we'll go to now, how do they save him? But just to wrap up the emotion of his backstory and stuff, when we have, you know, Chris Pratt screaming at the top of his lungs, trying to perform CPR on a fake raccoon, and it is just landing emotionally. What the yeah. fuck is this? Well, right? again, it gets into the, you know, Peter Quill's history of losing people close to him. Like the scene. So I rewatched volume two recently and that mm-hmm. made me cry. And that wasn't even the first time I watched it, but just the, the Yondu Peter Quill stuff at the end is uh, so good. And Yondu good. sacrificing himself to save Peter Quill mm-hmm. and Peter having to watch him die in front of him in space. Um, man, this, this series, 
He can't. We get our third else, so. person in space in this franchise, yes, Jacob, in this film. True, a very true. weird through line. <laughs> Peter Quill has been in space unprotected, like in every like in the first one, Gamora almost yeah. dies and he saves her. In the second one, he has to watch Yondu die in space, and then in this one, he almost dies again in space. Um, yeah, Peter seems like the kind of guy. Much. No, no, but he seems yeah. like the guy that might take unprotected they call you risks. Star Lord. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh. I, th- I think that's a good place to then take a, a break here and then we'll talk how does the rescue go and then what is the final act here? What are the human or hu- human as a broad term? Uh, many species here. So what are our humanoid characters up to as well? Right after this. We're back here on Normies Like Us talking volume three, Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been loving it, I, I think, so far. Um, this next part where we're leaving the rocket story behind, we're, we're about to recruit Gamora because we need to go to Orgo Corp. They decide because they might have some health insurance information. Yeah, it's a medical record. Because they know, like, yeah, that the owner of it is the high evolutionary who, and I thought this was very good writing, funds his nefarious uh, uh, outside the law stuff with, of course, high-end medical care and, like, you know, like, good products that you have to get to people. I was like, oh, great, so he's, like, a capitalist. This is good. I like this. He's like Umbrella. (laughs) He's got pharmaceuticals going crazy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um. But yeah, we got to we got to go to Oglecorp and uh, you know, Nebula doesn't tell Peter, but she's been in contact with Gamora other Earth Prime universe and like she's a ravager now and they need the ravagers help to uh get through some of these shield barriers and stuff to get access essentially. They want to get in yeah. and get out. It's a heist. They would ideally do it on I don't scene. understand a moment of any of this stuff that's happening. <laughs> it's just yeah. a lot of uh things to get us to, to the point, you know, get us Some from A to B, sort of. They yes. try to trick us, yeah. like, oh, the Ravagers are, they're boarding us, we're all gonna get ravaged, right. and it's like, no, I called them, and so it's a big, but just a prank, bro. It's what? fun seeing Sylvester Stallone come back from Volume 2, Stakar. Yes, and mm-hmm. the whole original Guardians crew, like Mike said, she's part of that Ravager crew specifically. It almost seems like she's filling in for Yondu as one of the new captains, since he's been gone in Volume 2, mm-hmm. Jacob. Right. Uh, what on earth could i have on my starship that when i take it out and flip it would get me through a force field i collide with what explain that science to me yeah um first of all he's doing some techno sci-fi clicking on it and then he plugs it in i don't know but i do want to mention this scene so this is a scene where peter's trying to take down there's three levels of shield and they need to be modulated to a different frequency each one whatever but as oh, they're okay. doing this, even that I like, Mike. Even that helps me a little bit. If that's what they're doing, are they shifting the everyone has a different their frequency shields to yeah. go through these? Correct. Elements? Perfect. Love it. So, as the the king of overthinking things, I this is where it starts entering into my mind. Mantis might start to be become the MVP of this movie outside of Rocket. So she's having a conversation with Peter, basically about how like. Yo, you haven't like dealt with your trauma and like you can see that you're stressed out about stuff. And as this conversation's happening, another shield goes down. As she's literally breaking through his uh, emotional yes. walls, we're seeing oh, metaphor. Mike. And I love yeah, it. Yeah. 
So I like well, that scene a lot. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Mantis is really the character. You know, she's an empath. She's the glue, right? in my she opinion. Can, she can feel people's feelings, and she can change to a certain degree people's feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you're right. Uh, Mantis is one of the MVPs of this movie for me. And I mean, her relationship with Drax is sort of the perfect like brother sister relationship uh, that started in two, and actually, mm-hmm. it's a big part of the holiday special. Once again, like you would love the, the two main characters. The holiday the special. Yeah. Two main characters. I have to watch it now. <laughs> Mantis and Drax. It's yeah. so Mantis forward. You would love it, dude. Oh man, she really was a standout for me as a glue character for this. Like for as much as Rocket is the. The backbone, and it's a lot of flashback, though. He's not involved in the main plot. So for the people in the main plot, she is my favorite uh, by far. And I'll talk about that more as we go. But we get into the shield, and we're going to do the heist now, right, essentially. But there's more that she's going to get into. So anyway. We're going to go to, uh, and here, maybe I spoke too soon about seeing the influence of Guardians of the Galaxy, because I think, Jacob, this is the influence of something else. They go to a Rick and Morty planet. Oh, Yeah. yeah. Which, weirdly, none of those writers worked on this. No, the rare Marvel <laughs> movie not written by a Rick and Morty writer who instead inserts a Rick and Morty scene into his movie. But it did remind me yeah. of uh, Quantum Mania, which is a very Rick and Morty movie, uh, right? It's like an all organic planet, right? Everything's goo, yeah. and they do a better they, job with goo technology here than Quantum Mania did. They go to this, yeah, this biologically grown base or whatever. Mm-hmm. You get guest star Nathan Fillion in a cameo, just the head hey, of marshmallow security. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And then they do some shenanigans. They got to get a you know a security code or whatever. They're um, heisting. Things go wrong. Yeah, we gotta got to improvise. You know, guardian stuff. Um, James yeah. Gunn's wife gets shot in the leg because she's the receptionist yeah. or whatever. Yeah, Gamora's being very extreme. Teaming up with Gamora. Yeah. Well, here's yeah. the thing: Gamora and Nebula. Also very interesting because in volume two, Nebula, you know, she's still bad in it, but she's still, you know, she's still with Thanos. Uh, So her and Gamora's storyline in volume two, it's almost flipped of what it is now where Nebula has been with the Guardians for so long. Also, I don't think it's mentioned in this movie, but there's, I think, a pretty big time jump just from the second volume. Mm. I think like nine years or something like in universe because there was also... The whole and blip for five blip, years. Right. So she's part, yeah. she's part of the team when they're shown in Infinity Wars. Um, she makes that transition, I believe, yes. through that those films. Right. Yeah, and then she's also a big Is part of Endgame the, because she's she, she joins the team in Endgame. Is, she's still alive with Robert Downey or with uh, Iron Man at the end. So her and Iron oh, Planet. Right. Everyone else gets dusted on that planet, right? With uh Spider Man and Doctor Strange and all hey. that. Mm-hmm. She's yeah. she's on the team for all the Thor Love and Thunder Guardian stuff, like that whole yeah. first ten minutes. Okay. Is Gamora? No, no, no. I'm no. sorry. No, she's yeah, all that. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, I'm getting super confused. No, it's gonna it rewatch Endgame again because that so much of that is like shown in Endgame where it's like right. Nebula is now Nebula has been with the Guardians for like nine years at this point. She's That's changed crazy. a lot. Yeah. And Gamora is this new Gamora that didn't go with the Guardians after Endgame and just went and did her own thing. Um, so their personalities are like completely flipped. And again, like Peter Quill having to deal with like the love of his life being there, but not really. And like, doesn't remember him all. It's like, that's like, that's like my worst nightmare, you know, like that something like that would happen. Like I would rather someone I care about just died rather than I I see their face all the time, but they're not the same person, you know? Right. And you have all these, and that's where we do get that tongue in cheek scene where he's like, 
because she's being aggressive, threatening to shoot people. They wanted to do it a little different. And so he tells the hostage, like, hey, you know, I, you wonder why she's doing this? She's supposed to be my girlfriend, but she's not. And that whole thing happens there. Yeah. Where I'm he not gets an kind of stone it. scientist, you know? Yeah, I don't know what's going on. Do you, um, <laughs> Jumped off a magical cliff? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Nobody Mike, else came back. do you back. like uh, Zoe Saldana as Gamora? And do you like Karen Gillian as Nebula? I like both of those characters a lot, actually. I think yeah, um, I like this new version like you have to do it. I like what Zoe Saldana is doing here with a more aggressive Gamora. And I really like, uh, I like Nebula a lot in this too. I think she's great. She's just yeah. little, she's so angry, but uh, yeah. she's yeah, got it, a good well, heart. Been, They're great. Yeah. In volume two, like their relationship is so good because mm-hmm. she, she's angry at Gamora because, but she's really angry at Thanos, but she doesn't realize it because Basically, Thanos would pitch, pit them against each other as children, make them fight. And every time Gamora beat Nebula, he would like take another body part and like replace it with a machine. So mm-hmm. every and, and Gamora would beat her every time because she was never lost. Wouldn't even let so, her win. Never even realized, hey, yeah, but can it you never give really won. Right. So they had to work things out and they realized like they care about each other as sisters and they really just hate Thanos. So yeah, yeah it's good stuff. Yeah. So yeah. there's. So she's still on her arc and trying to become more of a compassionate individual and doing the right thing. And so she's on the team. But I, I like all that stuff. Um, we do get our MacGuffin here at the end, but we also get some goofy Nathan Fillion. Uh, oh, I got you got an idiot on your team. I got one of those, too. Like, that's a yeah. <laughs> running gag they do. But what? any thoughts on Goo World battle and this stuff? We, you know, Drax gets injured. We're kind of barely escaping. You know, it's some close calls. It's a big heist thing, you know, some goofy moments. We've yeah. seen it before. Yeah. Yeah. Get some good set pieces, some good, you know, needle drops again. And then um, they realize they need what the secure, like the passcode that for. We, kn- we find out where safety. the evolutionary yeah. is. Right. And so it's they're going to go. He has it in his thing. So they have to go get it. So follow the assistant. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then they find. A lot of shuffling. Save, Counter Earth. Save the right? assistant, which is, save the raccoon. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Counter Earth. land on this, yeah. this Counter Earth, exactly. which is higher evolutionaries. Sorry. Um, so Higher evolutionary. Uh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. So, um, counter they go Earth. to this. Yes. Counter Earth, the new world that the High Evolutionary was building in these flashbacks where it's all populated by his creations, which are these genetically modified beings that are super smart. He's trying to modify like the violence out of them and stuff, making this perfect society. But then, even then, when we land there, we find that they still have crime, they still have these issues that, that all civilizations have, right? Yep. Yeah. Got an octopus selling meth, you know? Yeah. It's typical society. Two bunch of cockroaches, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's, let's wrap up another side part, which is mm-hmm. the while this is happening, the Aisha and um, Adam stuff is that they are hanging out with the High Evolutionary. We get what I thought was a really great joke of mm. the high evolutionary stepping on that step stool the first time he talks to Aisha to be taller than her. I thought that was very clever. That, that was yeah. subtle and clever. I did key on that. And I thought that was great that he had, even his assistant is like cowering. Like even he's the one I'm who slides the step stool forward. Yeah. Like, yeah. So come up with jokes, James Gunn. I'm, I'm here for it. And then of tell. course, uh, he's a little the, man who wants to be a big man. <laughs> the threat is that this society, the, the sovereign, it turns out was created by the high evolutionary as well. Uh, I, what would it be like if I made just beautiful idiots is what he says. I went for an aesthetic right. culture. Great. Yeah. These gold morons uh, will be destroyed and he will move on to his next creation. This next creation he's moved on to these Anamen, it, it is turning out as a failure as well. So 
when the Guardians are coming up to meet him now, there's these strict rules of no weapons, no guns. They kind of all have to split. They want Drax and Mantis to stay on the ship to watch Rocket's body. So Nebula and Groot uh, and Star-Lord go together to see the High Evolutionary Encounter Earth. Nebula is not allowed. Her whole body is considered a weapon. Just mm-hmm. Groot and Star-Lord go up. And uh, he basically witnesses the fallout of what Aisha is scared of, is that during this conversation, the High Evolutionary admits he'll be scrapping this world as well. Yeah, I'll reset like any other. And he threatens the Sovereign directly, like, you get the raccoon... Or your whole society is destroyed. So they have a pretty strong motivation to, even though, you know, the evolutionary can presumably get it with his own forces, they're kind of pitted against the evolutionary's forces yeah. to get Rocket at this time because they're, they're desperate yes. to save their own skin. Now, Jacob, what are we thinking about this? Because this is a lot of, like, tying our shoelaces together of Volume 2 to Volume 3, which was, we have to pay off the end thing of Adam Warlock. I'm right. also revealing... I'm the thing that created the Abolis, which were the things that were attacking the society that I created. But, like, you hired the thing I've spent my whole life searching for, this raccoon, and didn't tell me. But I'm going to call that out in this film and say, hey, you didn't tell me you saw that raccoon. And they're all going to be like, yeah, my bad. Like, what's going on here? Well, I wonder if he knew that the Sovereign was going to be created by the High They are idiots. The second one. No, I mean, Maybe when they, they saw they made volume they, two, yeah. if you had <laughs> that idea in mind to begin with, to have the high evolutionary from in volume three, but I don't know. Um, but I guess it was nice to tie the sovereign back into things. And they're not my favorite part of, of two either. Like they're kind of just like, I care more about the ego stuff. They're kind of just there, but um, yeah, what are cool. you, uh, what do you think of Will Poulter, Jacob as uh, Adam Warlock? I thought he was fine. Like he's got a weird personality where he's like sort of, very naive kind of almost like childlike person. Cause he's just like, he's just been born or something like this, but he's yeah. like super powerful, like Superman. Um, show them we mean business. And he like, like how much more business could I show them? And he just disintegrates yeah. the guy. <laughs> like That's the most business <laughs> he, I could show. He has this air of nobility or self-importance because obviously he has been told by his mother he has this title the warlock warlock. which is the pinnacle of their society it seems but also yes it is jacob's right that his personality is but what if he was the dumbest person alive i think will poulter is really funny as this part which again is nothing like the comic books and seems to have really riled people up Uh, he has time i thought it was fine i mean just a baby yeah and i mean so he, like, Ask he kills his friend, that guy. mother, and he points to the tent. <laughs> I thought that was really yeah, good. Yeah. It's like, I can't. That thing can't talk. And he's like, okay, okay. Yeah, he Fair kills enough. that guy, and then he's like, oh, his pet is making me sad now because <laughs> his pet is still alive. So then he just adopts Mother, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like how I yeah. feel when I look at that thing. Yeah. I, I think it's great. Like reading when, he, uh, when they're mm-hmm. like, oh, well, you know, answer us or we're going to blast that, that pet's head open or something. He's like, don't be rash. Like I love that that yeah. line. Reading. Yes, I thought that was. Don't be really rash. Don't <laughs> he be kind rash. of adopts the pet out of guilt. Yeah, I like yeah. that. They didn't have a ton, you know. They show up in the first act, but then there's a little bit of a split, and then no. they show up. But I, I do like Will Poulter's performance here, and I, I like kind of where it goes at the end. Could have been developed a little I bit more, really but I am enjoying the performance. Yeah. Yeah. What the post cred scene promises, I really liked, but the I'm rest, I'm like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Everyone yeah. deserves a second chance. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I just think it's funny. I don't know. 
I am Groot. I like the Sucky very taste. powerful idiot. Like that's great. You know? Yeah. Um, and I, I got one of those on my team too. I get it. And again, that's called back, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> with Nathan Fillion, but, um, yeah, evolutionary is like, Hey man, I'm going to create the thing. And star Lord's like, I don't need a speech about how your mom didn't love you and you need to take over the world. And he's like, I'm not taking over anything. I'm perfecting it. And you know, uh, we, we, we start to begin this big shoot 'em up conflict because, uh, we need the data to save rocket. Um, yeah. yeah Groot Groot doesn't care about, um, you know, the high evolutionary's plan. He just wants to save his friend. Mm-hmm. Fix this guy's an asshole. Um, oh, you got time for yeah. me now? Like, I, li- I like this attitude. That Chris Pratt good. is doing great as Star-Lord, by the way. Yeah. He actually is. I, yeah. Like, yes. people don't Charming. like Chris Pratt. And I don't like him in most things. Uh, but I've always liked him in Guardians. It's just when he yeah. has to play more like the straight action man, I don't like him as much. But when he gets to have like a little personality, he's a lot better. Jacob. I don't know about you, but rewatching that first one, which I haven't seen in a long time, but after this wave of dinosaur garbage, Navy SEAL bullshit, all this yeah, like uninteresting the stuff. War. Mm-hmm. Dude, I was like, he is fucking charming in this first movie, and you forget that. He is great as Star Lord. When I saw well, that's this, what got him. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, that's what got him the job, really, was his comedic made him a movie star. chops, mm-hmm. you know, because he was a comedic actor in Parks and Rec, and then. Jurassic World, they're like, let's have him play a straight action man. It just doesn't work for me as well. No, no. no. And, and, you know, he, he, yeah, he did push ups after he was telling jokes. And to let him have that, you know, this is some of the best tape he's ever put out there, I think, Guardians 3. Yeah. Like, even, even dramatically when he's upset over Rocket, like, I'm like, this is good, good job, sir. You know, like, I got to give him credit, at least for what's on, yeah. on screen, you know? Yeah. Um, Again, in volume two, his reaction when, Yandu dies again. He, he's very emotional, and it really worked for me. So good job, yeah. Chris Pratt. So, so, so I'm loving it. Yeah, the Star Lord is great. I wish he had his helmet. Ex Kaite wanted to make sure that note was clear. He wouldn't have frozen yeah, in space if he just wore his helmet. I don't know. Also, why I did see something uh, James Gunn yeah. said on Twitter about it because someone was asking, like, why didn't he? Use oh his, come on! His uh, mask and his his rocket mm-hmm. boots and stuff. And he was like, well, his mask is on a drawer, like his helmet is in a drawer on nowhere. And they didn't really have time to get it because they left nowhere in such a hurry. So it makes oh, sense yeah. that he wouldn't just, you know, grab that. And then with the the, the rocket boots, he doesn't really use those anymore because they have like jetpacks and stuff now that Rocket mm-hmm. designed for them. I don't even remember those. Yeah. I remember him flying around a little bit, but okay, okay, fair enough, James Gunn. You you can have that. Sure. Um yeah. during the so they're having a, a scuffle with the high evolutionary, uh Drax and Mantis are like, screw this, we're going to go help. And they abandon their posts on the ship. So it's just past Gamora there. She's going through some Peter Quill stuff. But then uh, Adam Warlock shows up like, I know you have the raccoon and I need to get it or I'm fucked. But, you know. Right. (laughs) I'm in trouble if you don't. Yeah. First of all, I want to say about Drax. So a mild criticism I might have of this movie is that a lot of it is like, and this is throughout the sort of the Guardians arc, but Drax doing something stupid, getting the rest of them in trouble, and then them, them having to get out of it is kind of a trope that's repeated a lot in the Guardians. And they even call it out in this movie, which is what I like because um, like when there's that big scene with Nebula and Mantis and Drax where they're fighting mm-hmm. and Nebula's like, You're you know, you always do this where you get you do something really stupid and you don't take any um like you don't take any of the blame for it, right? You just yeah. you just expect people to forgive you because you're stupid but like you need to like have you need to sort of grow up basically and like 
act like an adult sometimes, you know? Yeah, and then she shoves him. And then this is another MVP Mantis nominee when she's yeah. like, you have no right to push him. And I'm like, I started to get a little emotional here. Like, yeah, don't don't be a bully. Like, you have no right. Yeah. Like, yes. the, the phrasing it's of a, that. It's their words. Yeah. yeah. That's what I like about and, Mantis. But then even she's like, when she says that she thinks Drax is stupid, you know, might have slip of the tongue in the moment. I don't like this. And I don't like that she makes him forget it. I think that's disingenuous to the moment. No, she should have had yeah, to apologize and re-earn his trust. Yeah. That's my one. Criticism. I did not think she was going to make him forget it. That that really shocked me, Mike. Yeah, that's a character flaw. Maybe she'll have to learn from that and reflect on that in her future journeys. But I think that was one thing I, I did not enjoy her doing. Well, that's the thing she is stood that up for him was good. Drax is like he's not a complete idiot, but he does do things without thinking sometimes and without thinking about how they affect yeah. others. Right. It, yeah. It's, it's interesting that this huge ensemble thing, and for us to literally, I said the thing up top about everybody being like, Oh my God, Dave Batiste is going to be in a movie. That's so dumb. Yes. In 2012 or whenever that first movie came out, that is what people thought. Now I think all three of us have said on this podcast, like, well, Dave Bautista is just, it's known that he's one of the best modern actors. Yeah. Like, okay. He's the um, best wrestler turned actor for sure. And we all, all we like the Peacemaker Cena. and he's, he's yeah. better than John Cena. And I would, we would all agree. He's better than The Rock by a thousand miles. Mm-hmm. Now they've kind of found this groove, Jacob, to your point, because I'm going to argue about not really ever knowing what to do with Drax, mm-hmm. but it seems like between volume two infinity wars and this, they kind of understand like you can have him in the background of a scene and he can just say one line and that's going to add to the whole scene. Like you don't, yeah. we don't need, he's not going to be forward facing. He's not going to be the rocket backbone carrying this movie, unfortunately. No. And he's never going to get the cool action scene to kill Thanos like he does in the comics for some reason, even though we right. built up this whole thing about how he has to, like, avenge his, like, Family. wife and child. Like, no, we're not really going to like He's, right. he's literally yeah. avenging. Come well, on, let him avenge. The, his, his arc in the first movie is really good because he is consumed by revenge. Like, all he wants to do is kill not even Thanos, but Ronan the Accuser, yes. who's, like, Thanos' lieutenant. Um and then he gets the chance to fight Ronan one on one and gets like his ass kicked. And then he gets humiliated by that and is basically like, I failed the one thing I've been like living my entire yes. life for. And, has mm-hmm. to, like, and he lets it go. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the whole movie is about that. And then you could say, because again, it seems like a lot of people for volume two, their number one criticism is like, why is he talking about turds and like poop and stuff, which he also does in this film as mm-hmm. well? Um, and it doesn't seem like Dave Batista really signed on for that and like was happy with that when, but I'll say to his credit, it doesn't seem like for a second, like he's not showing up to these movies. He seems 100% into it. Obviously now he's wearing a vest because he does not want full body makeup for like six hours to be applied right. just for him to be in the background well, of scenes. Yeah. I think that's fair. So yeah. yeah, no, I think he does a great job in these movies. Yeah. He's just at a point in his career now where he wants to move beyond just being Drax. And yeah. his whole thing is like, he, I can be in lots of different kinds of movies. Like, I'm a, I'm a real actor. Like, I can do dramas. I can do whatever. And I fucking love Dave Bautista. And so I'm happy that he's having the career that he's having now because... Put him in a rom-com. We've said it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, put him in a rom-com. He was, you know, good in Glass Onion, Dune, of course. Um, Stuber was shouted out in the parking guy. lot by our friend. 
Stuber, Stuber. That's right. It's range. Yeah. It's range. You know, he's a big guy. But like it is, it make is. you laugh. Yeah, when he was first, like you said, when he was first coming in, obviously he was great as Drax, but people didn't envision him. They're like, okay, he's like this big wrestler guy. He's gonna be. He's gonna want to do those kind of parts, but he's kind of the anti-rock, where he doesn't just want to yeah. do leading action man stuff. He wants to break out and really try different things. And I really and respect Denny that. Villeneuve. You really could credit with the Blade Runner saying, "Like, I'll give you a serious shot." And then Mike, he ends up starring in that Shyamalan movie, right? where it's like, Tavern "Oh, this guy's like a dramatic heavyweight." Yeah, yeah. he's very most surprising, like guy in that second career that I've ever seen. If you're familiar with him during his wrestling days. He was never my favorite wrestler, no. like Batista. Like he was just kind of there. Like I did not like him, but he was always like working with Randy Orton and stuff, and just being a bad guy, kind of. And Triple H and yeah. he, like his charisma never blew you away. Like promos are yeah. a big thing, and you never thought saw him as like you, the Rock. You could see this guy's got the charisma. Rock. John Cena, this guy's got yeah. charisma, but never Batista to see him just crush it on the so, big screen. Totally. That's what's so surprising is like the the Rock's career has turned out the way it's turned out because he was so charismatic as a wrestler. That Oh, this guy really could be an actor, but then he just gets—he's satisfied just being typecast in these rock type parts. Where yeah, Batista's yeah. like, I want to do different movie stuff. star. Yeah, I yeah. want to be an actor. Black yeah. Adam should have been retitled Black Hole <laughs> for the budgetary <laughs> yeah, <it> team. Sucks. <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting. And one last thing, I just want to say about Batista before we move on. Yeah. Dave Batista as a person just seems like a really good person too. And yeah. one little anecdote that I know about him is that he had a tattoo that was a. Manny Pacquiao. So Manny Pacquiao is a boxer, a Filipino boxer who's uh, huge in the Filipino community, um, mm-hmm. one of their biggest like stars, you know. And Batista is Filipino, and so he had that tattoo, but he got it removed because Manny Pacquiao came out and said some anti-LGBTQ stuff. And Batista's like, "Man, that's not cool. Like, my mom is lesbian." And, like, so like, I really respect him for doing that. He got mm-hmm. this tattoo covered up, actually not removed, but. Uh, Covered yeah. up into and something else. About his like, mom. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I guess he, he was raised by a um, single mom who was, who was a lesbian, I guess. So very interesting uh, yeah. upbringing, but just shows that he's just a really great guy. So yeah. Dave Batista, good on you, man. Yeah. There's also been conversation about like some of the coding with Drax or him, you know, members of, you know, the aut- autism spectrum disorder. Yes. He, yeah. Like identifying with Drax, you know, and the way he takes things yeah. literally. And he's like, kind of embraced that. Like if, if people see Drax and it inspires him, I'm so grateful and honored to have yes. been a part of bringing that character to life. So he does seem like a nice guy. So when Mantis stands up for him and says, you know, he might not always be competent, but you know, he loves us and he makes us laugh. And it's like, you know what? That's all you need. Everybody's valid. Everybody's valid. Yeah. I love that that's what this movie's doing. Yeah. I was so moved. It defines their relationship too. Like Mantis and, and Drax have this brother-sister relationship where they're like really good friends, but they also argue a lot, but they make each other laugh and stuff. And like, yeah, it's just so well it's done. It's not always yes. about how good are you at a thing. You could just be a good person and that's enough to be accepted here. God dang it, this movie's still good. Yeah. Uh, the big standout joke to me that I really think was the funniest moment of the movie was we should say the high evolutionary is abandoning the Anamen because mm-hmm. he has made a new species, which are these white haired children that are always happy and are very smart. But as, again, as he's lamenting, like Jacob keeps saying, they are recycling knowledge. They are not spontaneously they can't creating. come up with an idea. Yeah, no. They're, they're little idiots. They stumble upon our, our trio that are locked away, these little idiots. And when Drax says, 
I'm going to make monkey noises for you. And then does the robot. <laughs> yeah. Make robot yeah. noises and stuff. Because he's like hitting people. I mean, it is, it is hilarious. Yeah. I like to yeah. imagine that like on his planet, that's what monkeys sound yes. like. So oh my God. Maybe they're sense. robots. Maybe yeah. Robotnik made those and threw them out there. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> no, and that's but, another and then, thing too. I, well, I might maybe leaving the same point, but we do get yeah. to, I think Nebula comes around. She was being hard on him and she's like, you know, I finally way of water i see you Drax. like yeah. you weren't made to be a destroyer you were made to be a father and i'm like yeah. and that kind damn of is, you know yeah that's a great way to wrap up his arc of yes you know like he lost his daughter obviously before the first movie and that's kind of what he's been missing is his family like he's kind of like a he, he wants a family that he can protect so um yeah. he's now got his family which is the guardians right yeah. Um, yeah. he's got all these new children the one thing i didn't understand is how he he like knew their language, but it was like a new, is it a new language that like these people came up with or what was Does one of them specifically say that's definitely not in my translator. Correct. This is not in my translator. Then then how could he know? He just must intuit it. He just, Just, yeah. But what it, if yeah. one of them says, they know like, three words and two of them are jupe. Jupe. <laughs> yeah. Jupe. And it's later revealed to be good friend or something. Friend, like that yeah. Because they yeah. say, you are good jupe or something yep. like that. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah, they just want to know if they were friendly. But, um, yeah. Well, we, we end up with, uh, you know, they're trying to save Peter, but Peter doesn't need that's saving. The There's a whole misunderstanding, thing, yeah. right? You know, yes, the only reason they're on good. the ship in the first place is they're right, trying to save on. Peter. <laughs> when they call him, and Peter like, already saves him. And... You're on. He's like, "We're here. We're here to save you." And he's like, "No." You know, yep. I always get off in some crazy situation. Which he also did a Die Hard to get out yes. of. Yes. Oh no, no. The, yes, he did. He did a, he did a Jarnathan. A jar- yes, yeah. he did a Jarnathan. <laughs> That's what we're calling yes, it now. Appropriate that. Steal that, please. Because um, they were wings. This yeah. Is maybe again, I understand it's movie logic. There are about four or five sequences. This is one of them where mm-hmm. it's like. He dives out the window. Gamora crashes a spaceship from God knows what city, just flying around willy-nilly into the Earth. It just happens to be exactly where Peter Quill is. Come on, let's move to the next set piece where I'm like, boy, you are just shuffling this deck. You are just shuffling this deck this whole movie, James Gunn. I don't know, man. Third act is getting bonkers. There's a lot of things happening. Um, But eventually, we we, they... Gamora picks him up. We got the code that we needed from the guy's head. Okay, we're going to bring Rocket back. So that's what we do get Rocket back. Emotional scene where it looks like we're going to lose him. So it's just Gamora, Peter, and Rocket on the ship at this point. And the other three are stuck in the evolutionary's compound. So then we get Rocket. Hey, man, welcome back. You want to go kill your dad? Yes. And that's kind of where we go for the big finale. Thank you, Mike. You're totally right to say that all of that is before that phone call I brought up, because when they do that joke of you're on that thing, you're on that thing, when Rocket chimes in, the reaction where Nebula goes like, is that he's okay? Everything's like that to me is like really again where these movies are really good because like characters are like checking in with each other and like admitting their feelings about each other, like constantly where I'm like, yeah, this is good. This is how people should communicate. This is great. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and the most hardened, characters, you know. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I was saying, um, Karen, uh, Nebula is the most hardened, angry one, and she's the one who responds to that rocket. Like, she has the emotional yeah. response first, and I think that's just right. smart. So smart. And that's what's so Very interesting, special. seeing the characters grow over time, where in the first one, they're all meeting, getting together. The second one, they've been together a while. They're kind of bonding as a family and stuff. And now, 
at the end of the ride, they've been together for a long time on nowhere. You know, they've grown a lot. Things have changed and they're, you know, they're old, old friends now, basically, but they still have differences mm-hmm. that they need to work out between each other, but they're just a really good dysfunctional, but functional family. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's the point really. So I think honestly, all the action, it's all frivolous to me. Like it happens and it's exciting. We get the hallway yeah. scenes and we get this a confrontation with them we can cover, but like the big moment for me is when rocket kind of goes in, it seems like alone, presumably, and he's confronting the evolutionary and the evolutionary is basically like, you aren't shit. You were never shit. You suck. You only existed because I needed you. You fucking suck. And then when his friends show up to defend him from his abuser, like one at a time, yes. like, no, fuck you. That's our guy. Yeah. My God. Just it's great. And the guy's so mm-hmm. hateable. You, you love it. It, yes. it feels so justified and cathartic when they finally give him what's due. Yeah. His face and again, off. with the. You know, aside from all the action and the the plot A to B and all that stuff, like what's really important and what's really makes the Guardian special is the characters and their relationships and just how well defined they are and how they work together as a group uh, that makes it stand out, right? Yeah. And so that's that's what this is. And then we end up yeah. not only saving the sentient beings, but we do a metroid we save yes. all of the beings and this is where we get yeah, rocket to finally accept right i am a raccoon yes he finds out that he is a raccoon in that moment that's very it's interesting like yeah. scene he goes back to the lab sees some baby raccoons looks at the tag it says common name raccoon later he says i'm rocket rocket raccoon rocket raccoon here's that's where i got playoff. very stressed um, I was fine seeing him like try to grab all those little <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. kit babies and like cover himself. But then when he turns and you see like all the minks all the and the cages animals. and the other stuff, yeah. I was like, there's no way he's going to be able to open all these cages. I know. And I was thinking like, Please. is he only going to so save the nervous. raccoons? And just yeah. I know. I was like, animals. stop, help them. Yeah. yeah. But eventually but we, we save everything. Yeah. We didn't even mention cosmo some of the other characters that are craiglin uh, has been okay yes let's talk about this joke too again <laughs> yeah. it's another one of these it's that modern trope of three years where you have to reference a joke three fucking times mm-hmm. uh you're a bad dog later the poker game can you believe he called me a bad dog drop it yeah. third beat you're a good dog great yeah huge yeah. payoff yeah uh, funny that was fine, yeah. yeah. Funny. And then Kraglin like, has the I like Cosmo. His I like Cosmo arrow too. arc where he I like Cosmo, yeah. Um Kraglin has his arrow arc where he inherited this arrow from Yondu in the last yes. movie. Um and Kraglin is also kind of like an adopted son of Yondu, so he has like his yes. own father issues with Yondu. He's trying to make the arrow work. He's not as good at it as Yondu, but yep. then he gets this big moment at the end. Yeah. Um yes. against all the hell so spawn. Um yeah. I did, real it, quick. Yeah. I just want to tell this one Cosmo joke real fast because it mm-hmm. is the setup of the poker game where she starts at saying it is 1965. The USSR fires me into space yeah. with no hope of me ever. And that's a real. <laughs> so that's the real story <laughs> of the dog Laika. Laika of course, yeah, the, right. the first creature ever, ever in space was a dog uh, that the cosmonauts fired up. But when she says, and it was the greatest indignity I have ever suffered, but even they would not call me bad dog. <laughs> 
It is so yeah. good. Yeah. She was shot in space and she knows it and she knows that they didn't mean to bring her back. That's and so that's sad. A true, yeah, that's a true story. Like they had no way to bring her back from orbit, so they knew Laika was gonna die, but it Which was, kinda ties yeah. in to the yeah, kind of the evolutionary animal doing things to animals. Like there is a reason. And of course, Jacob, we know from watching the first one, Cosmo has been set up since the first movie and the post credit scene of the first movie where she gets yeah. loose. And Howard the Duck says, oh, my God, you're letting that thing lick you. Now, Howard the Duck is playing cards with her. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and Cosmo voiced by Maria Bakalova, who was uh, in if you ever saw uh, Borat 2. The second Borat movie that oh, came out yeah. a little bit ago. Uh, she plays like his daughter in that. And uh, she's getting some more sort of mainstream American recognition now. Um, so that's cool. I like yeah, Cosmo. Yeah. yeah, good good voice. You know, it's fun, funny bits. And I also liked when uh, dude shot the arrow at Adam Warlock in the first act. And it just bounces off. <laughs> yeah. him. He's like, who threw this thing at me? You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that, that was that's very So there's funny. sharp jokes around all this stuff we're kind of glossing over. Like, it's it's funny pretty much the whole way it through. Is. Are we still that's pretending we're angry? You're an asshole. You know, like, yeah. Yes, it's very good yes. stuff. Um, yeah. But yeah, we, we end up saving everybody. Cosmo has a big moment where she's holding the two ships together so they can transfer all the survivors. Peter Quill's trying to make a desperate escape, drops his Zune, uh, and is, he has a plan with a has little to, air hose, has to go back for but it. he gets stuck. Interesting, Mike. Very interesting. I was I like, very it. cool visuals of him doing that and, you know, the, the shot of going off. But yeah, gets stuck again, Jacob, for the third time. And then we get an homage to Da Vinci's creation. Uh, mm-hmm. We literally get Adam and God touching each other. Adam, literally, you know, and the really, uh, taking the, the, the God part uh, for a brief, you know, moment, and then he he saves the day because, of course, he has been saved by Groot at this point and learned everybody deserves a second chance. And he lost and his, his mother. mother. Yes, his driving force Aisha has been blown up on Counter Earth, mm-hmm. and that's really the whole lesson behind. A lot of James Gunn's work with like Peacemaker too, of like everyone deserve like even if you think you're unredeemable, you may not be. Like with Peacemaker, he was a bad guy in Suicide Squad. Being redeemed in Peacemaker, he's like, oh, I can be a hero, right? So it's kind of along the same lines. Like, yeah, yeah, the Guardians saved Adam. Now he's going to save them, and it's it's a a cycle, right? Yeah, yeah. Pays, kindness pays itself forward as much as trauma or violence does. It is well, something yeah. that James Gunn is constantly trying to at least positively put into the universe. Yeah, and then we also get equally, there are some things where if your heart is only filled with hate are irredeemable, like Peacemaker's father or the Grand Evolutionary here. Like that is Right, but the important thing is trying and making an effort. Having to love in your be heart, better, believing, right? yeah. honestly, and doing the right thing, so... Yeah. Um, I, I think right now would be the right thing to continue this philosophical phase and lead it into final thoughts uh, right after this break. Because, yeah, what are the themes, messages, meanings? What are we taking out of this as we leave the theater? Because there's a lot to chew on. So we'll be right back. Uh, sit. Good dog. Not a bad dog. Uh, that he was... says, "He say this to me." <laughs> oh, Ignatic, just let it go. They're like, "Come on!" Oh. And it's the guy from the first one who sells him like the little baubles. Is there? Which I oh, believe yeah. is Lloyd Kaufman. 
okay. Oh, that's yeah. right. That's right. I heard there was a Lloyd Kaufman cameo in there. Cool, cool. Well, I guess we're back. We're back. We're still talking Guardians Volume 3. Um, yeah, I loved it. I, I think we all did, too. I guess I'll do this live on air real quick. Jacob, maybe you want to as well. I was thinking about where to place it in my mm. grand scheme of Marvel uh, placements on Letterboxd. Uh, of yeah. course, listeners, you should know we love Letterboxd, the film reviewing website. Now, I'm not obviously going to read the position of every film on my uh, on my Feige list here that lists mm-hmm. out, Jesus Christ, what are we at? Let's see. Uh, 542? I've got all the TV shows on here. Could it possibly be 42 entries? Is that correct, wow. Mike? Will you I'll, Google that? Yes, I Let's will. Let's see, because I have, uh, I have the MCU list here, too. I have 37. I have What If and Moon Knight and all the shows and shit. Do you have all I don't that have shit? What If, but I have Loki, WandaVision, She-Hawk, Moon Knight. 32 Hawkeye. films, but I'm trying to get a list of TV shows. But that, I think there's at least, it feels like 10 TV shows. Yeah, so I have 37. Moon Knight, Miss Marvel, Loki, like, every, yeah. yeah, I have every movie plus every Disney plus streaming show except for What If and Miss Marvel. Jesus Christ. Well, so here's what I'll say. In reviewing these films in the past week with with watching the prior ones, I have actually bumped up my score for the first Guardians of the Galaxy film from a three-star movie to a four-star movie. So Mm. I'm going to live place that as well. And then I'm going to reveal right here my number two of all time on all Marvel movies is volume two. So that is a five-star film. So that is just cemented at the top. Wow. Nice. So, so I, uh, I have not reviewed these yet because I watched volume two and one and two last week. have not mm-hmm. updated my w- with reviews yet, um, but I do have them, you know, priorly rated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a whole MCU list here. And I've said before on the podcast that my favorite three standalone MCU movies, not counting the Avengers movies, were Guardians one and two and Thor Ragnarok. Wow. And that's been my top three for a long time. So I think I've mentioned that before. And I think I had Thor Ragnarok uh, number one. Um, But I did move uh, when I just watched these ones. I did. I bumped volume two up to number two. So it goes Thor Thor Ragnarok, Guardians volume two, then Avengers Endgame. Wow. Then uh, Guardians volume one, then Black Panther. Guardians Um, one is five. So two and five are your two and four. Two and four. four the top yeah. five. I, I'm worried about where you're going to put three on this one. So I'm Iron Man. I, yeah, I haven't even one. thought about it yet because I have to. Guardians like... 2, number two. Mm-hmm. I, I'm throwing number one here at 13. I'm putting it under WandaVision wow. and above Civil War at four stars. What do you guys think about that placement? Hmm. <laughs> that's pretty crazy. That above Civil War is pretty high praise. I think a lot of people think that's yeah. one of their favorites. So I, I'd yeah. say that's valid. That's a big team. So I have. Um, mm-hmm. I've never rated an MCU movie higher than four stars on Letterboxd. That's my highest oh, ranking for an MCU. Just because hmm. I have a certain way I rank, like five to me is like an absolute masterpiece. Four and a half is like oh, okay. almost perfect. And then four is like really, really good. So four is still a really good rating. No, I dude, just never. I rate to the movie. This is for what a fucking, for what Guardians 2 could be. That is a fucking five star movie, my man. Right. 
but I did bump it up from three and a half, which is very good, to four, which is very, very good in my book. I so four and a half, really. All right. So here's here's a, I'm going to let you mm-hmm. think about it. I'm dragging my Guardians Volume Three at forty two. I'm putting it up here again. I'm doing. I'm not going to put it above the. Well, I'm going to put it above the first one, but I'm going to also put it at four stars. And I'm going to say, here's where we go. Here's where we go. I'm going to put it. Jacob, I'm going to put this right above Thor Ragnarok and put it right under Loki. So it's going to be my number 11 is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which is three spots above the original Guardians. And again, Guardians 2 at number two. That's pretty crazy. Um, for on any given day, like Thor Ragnarok could be my two. Could I kind of go back and forth between those? And those yeah. were both uh, came out the same year, 2017. Yeah. So I think 2017 to 2018 was really the peak of MCU. You also had Black Panther in there. You had the start of Avengers: Infinity War, and then Endgame. And uh, it I was like a really theory. strong time. Um, yeah, I have. I think volume three, it's better than one, a little bit below two for me. Because I still yes. think two is the best. It's got the right that's, mix of comedy. That's going to be high up in your numbers. That puts it at number three in your list or something like that. Yeah. That's but again, crazy. I think they are the best stand Like, it's the best standalone franchise in the MCU. Wow. I, I like Thor Ragnarok a lot. I didn't like Love and Thunder as much. I didn't like the first two Thor. So it's really just that one movie that I really like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and other Ant-Man than that, like, speaks yeah, for itself. Ant Man, of course. Um, I do have. Do you like the bit of Love and Thunder where the Guardians are in it? I think that's yeah. probably the best stuff in that movie. <laughs> yeah, I wish there was more Guardians in it. Actually, <clears throat> Thor Let's Guardian see, Ant- crossovers are good. Ant Man Quantum Mania, I have at number seventeen out of thirty-seven. So that's not bad. Dang, I have it above the made. original. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Quantum Mania for me is like 25 right above the Guardians Holiday Special. Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't have that okay. either. I didn't rank yeah. that on, on this list. I forgot about that. Oh, uh, there you go. I like my list only because it's perfectly bookended. I have Thor Ragnarok number one, and I have Thor The Dark World number 37 <laughs> in last place. Yep, yep. I like the Fantastic. symmetry of that. And I have Love yeah. and Thunder like about in the middle. Yeah. The highs and lows of but, Chris Hemsworth. Really, Mike, I mean, where the would Guardians you, just really uh, stand out for me. Would yeah. you put this one above the other two or below it? <sighs> I didn't rewatch them, so it's hard. I can't make a... You need to rewatch a, them. Because right. I'm telling you, like they really hold up. You know, really it really pays it off. More too, thematically yeah. resonant with the third one, especially number two. Like That movie is just so good to me. The way it ends, the... You know, Ravager funeral at the end, and Cat Stevens' father oh and son God. playing. Like, oh oh no, I forgot. And about he just looks at the little raccoon crying, and it cuts to credits after that imagery. It is like James Gunn got away with making this movie and essentially received a blank check for creating it. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, and uh, I, I can't rank them properly, but I did really, really like this. Um, I, I have my only thoughts are like, I wanted. Once it started and I saw the tone that we could have, I wanted to like literally have like an emotional breakdown. Like I wanted to be broken emotionally. I wanted to cry like man tears, like really cry, like to feel it. And Mm -hmm. I felt like it was, I was calling it emotional edging. Like they would walk right up to the line, but they would never 
punch it through. Like they're right. flirting with the Gamora Peter stuff. And like they needed a conversation with him and Nebula where she's like, look, that's my sister too, but it's not my sister. Like I feel weird about it too, Peter, but you need to chill. Mm-hmm. Like they never punched it all the way through. Yeah. Um, I've also been having a hard yeah. time, but I'm not an alcoholic. Here's how. Yeah. Right. Were you, were you into this camp of uh, expected deaths, Mike, that, that sort of led up I to was, this film? I thought it was going to be possible. Yeah, I was prepared for yeah. that too, and I'm shocked kind of that there wasn't. I was a bit, and so this is kind of my expectations going in. I didn't look up too much, like in terms of like reviews and stuff, but I had heard that like it is good. Some people are calling it like the best MCU movie ever. So I was, I had that in my mind going in. So I, I almost had too high expectations going in because, I, and I did really like it, but I felt at certain points, a little let down because it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't going hard enough emotionally. Like I was emotional throughout the movie, but I never I like, was misty. completely broke down. Yeah. Correct. Like you're saying, and I did expect, like, I thought Drax was going to die in this movie. I thought either Drax or Rocket was going to die. Um, yeah. mm. And I thought there would be, I thought there'd be bigger, you know, bigger fallout from, from these things, but it turned out okay. And I think, I'm glad that it had that happy ending in that cathartic sort of dance yeah. scene where they're dancing to Florence and the Machine. Oh, yeah, it's dance, dude. Yeah. Man. And that was sort yes. of a great way to end it. And then also the Peter Quill Gamora stuff, I thought that was handled about as well as they could have with this with what they were given mm-hmm. from the Avengers storyline. And to have them not end up back together, I thought was really a good idea where they're just like Peter Quill just has to come to terms with and Gamora kind of spelled it out for him like you you hate yourself and you think that I can fill a hole in you that that I can't why do I have to be something for you yeah right you need to kind of find yourself kindness I can give you is to end this film is to acknowledge it to say I bet we had a lot of fun and he says we had the most fun or something like that Mm -hmm. and that can be enough and I think it's a yep. really sort of mature decision to not have Gamora just a give in at the end and rejoin the Guardians, act like nothing. You know, she's like the same character that she was in the first no. because she's not. And yeah. they encourage her, her goes, in fact, to find her own family, Jacob. She's so yes. happy. It's very crazy. And the last shot when she goes back to the Ravagers and you see her like embracing Sylvester Sloan and see how well they get along. It's like, oh, she did find her second family. And it's these people. It's not the Guardians. It's like these Ravagers. And that's hinted at she's making those phone calls. Come help me. Like, I miss you guys or whatever it is. Or I have to get back to my crew, she says, like, several times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So just a really good way, like, to handle with what they had. At the same time, I was sad that we didn't get, like, a proper, you know, end to their love story, kind of. But, I mean, I guess that's what, what, you know, the Avengers movies were. But it's still a kind of heartbreaking for... Peter Quill, but he's just got to move on. And, uh, and him going back to earth at the end, re, you know, going to see his grandfather after like 30 years. Like I thought that was a great way. He's been running from it his whole life. And now he's coming back to his roots. And I thought that was a really great way to end it. Yeah. And to underline my Mantis MV, MVP voting, right. Um, she says like, you've lost a lot of people and you're upset, Peter, in the very beginning. But you've also left people behind. You could have gone to Earth. Like, you got to think about that. And then she also has Drax through the whole, you're leaping from lily pad to lily pad with these relationships. Maybe you learn how to swim. Metaphors. Yeah. Metaphors. Even my butt can make them, right? But, um, like, she is, like, the emotional core of this. And even with uh, Cosmo, you are so strong. Like, she's so supportive. And yes. I, I, just, I was moved every time she was just supportive. And it's like, she just, she's the best. She's yes. the best. But, uh, yeah. so Again, Peter had to watch- learn to swim. 
rewatch volume two because there's a lot of mantis and the christmas thing and then holiday special she's just trying to cheer peter up her her brother her half brother that she sort Mm -hmm. of discovered through all this um and yeah it's again her trying to make people in the group happy when they're sad and trying to give him what what she thinks he wants which is his hero kevin bacon in the person and then now yeah. she's at the point where she has to go figure out what she wants. She did whatever Ego wanted. She tried to help whatever the group needed of her, but she's never thought of herself. And now she's going to go spend some time on her own. Uh, and that's what I would, if that was a Disney Plus show, Mantis figuring out her shit, mm. I would love that. <laughs> I'm being too. Yeah, let's Appalitz. talk about yeah. the future. So where think, everybody went. Mm-hmm. You know, that's Drax, I think Batista said, like, he's not going to be playing Drax anymore. We'll see if they offer him enough money down Five the line. Five years, secret war, one more time. Yeah. yeah. But I think for characters that could actually get major play in the future, I think, well, they did say, you know, the legendary Star-Lord will be back. So I guess Peter Quill will be back. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Mantis, yeah, is one of the, the, maybe the main breakout star that could have like her own spinoff. Um, I also Disney think, Plus like, series. That. I, yeah, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Rocket and Groot's story has kind of been told throughout this arc. Like, I feel like most of them, like, they have pretty complete, like, character arcs. You don't really need to explore anymore. That's kind of what this movie, this movie had a sense of finality to it of, you know, in, you know, in the MCU where things never really end, right? Like, this really felt like the ending of the story in a good way, because I think stories need endings, right? Things can't just continue forever. So I do like that the whole movie, it just felt like this is the end. And, like, it had that darker tone. That mm-hmm. more serious tone. I was just like, man, this is the end for these characters, for most of them, I think. Yeah. I don't think they need to rush to do a new Guardians film at all. You know, like we can hang no. out, we can chill. I think, again, with the fatigue anyway, just cool your yeah. kids. This is a home run. I, I, Let it I would like to see Cosmo again. I would like to see Adam again and Rocket and Groot and all the other new Guardians at the end of the movie. But the beauty of the Marvel Universe is, is they're not going anywhere. I will. I'll see them again. Mm-hmm. Just relax. It doesn't have to be, you know. I can feel secure in that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And what they did with this, it's yeah, good job, James Gunn. Like wait, to create that f- sense of finality. You're right, Jacob. That's totally. Yeah, and again, it's impressive. James Gunn's, you know, goodbye letter to the MCU as he's going ah. across the street, basically, to become the Kevin Feige of DC. Actually. Are people yeah. going to be over comic books by the time he actually begins his DC universe? <laughs> That's a really good. Like, question. is that going to be? Real? I'm nervous I doubt about it. that. Um, let's. I'm gonna hit yeah. pause real quick on our um, yeah. DC talk. I think that's where we logically go to wrap this thing up. But Mike, what what was your pitch for another movie in this universe or a oh, sequel? Sorry, my the pitch Mantis, was right? the Mantis spinoff. Oh, gotcha. Her. Of course, yeah. yes, I, I love so that's that. Where yeah. I, was at. I would love that as well. Mantis yeah. spinoff or Ravager spinoff, and it doesn't even have to be yeah. like Gamora with the Ravagers. It could just yeah. be. I mean, I don't think Sylvester Stallone is going to sign on to do a series or anything, but maybe. I mean, he's doing Tulsa King or whatever. He, so. I, Jacob, in fact, I think he <laughs> is in the position where that's exactly what he would sign on to do, to be like, can you believe yeah. they put me in a Marvel movie? I'm playing Batman on the TV show. And they're like, that's not at all what you're doing. Sign the contract. Yeah. Right. I just was standing yeah, volume. Seeing more of that's right. more Ravagers and seeing more of their like society and stuff. I think that could be yeah, a cool show. I love all of it. So let's let's answer that question. Now yeah. the DC universe, he's leaving, he's going over there. Mike, I want this Superman movie to rule. Mm-hmm. Boy, I just don't see it in my mind. I don't know. Okay. Dude. I mm-hmm. Jacob, yeah, what do you think? I will rebuttal you here because I very okay. I'm very optimistic about 
the future of DC because sure. I like James Gunn. I trust him from a storytelling perspective. And I know that if he's signing off on it, then it's going to be good. So I know that he's writing this new Superman movie, Superman Legacy, that's going to open new DCU after The Flash, which is resetting this universe. We know that mm-hmm. already, right? Yep. But I, you know, he had a little he had a little video on Twitter recently kind of talking about some of the upcoming projects that he's excited about and stuff. And I thought it was really interesting because it's not just, you know, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, blah, blah, blah. It's like, again, these more obscure characters from DC canon that maybe wouldn't have gotten, you know, noticed as much. And if he can do it with Guardians of the Galaxy, somewhat, you know, a franchise no one cared about in 2013 and make it into what it is now, like, I feel like he can do the same thing in DC. it is not only the interest of a Superman and a Batman. He is doing creature commandos. He's doing right. Swamp Thing. He's doing these sort of not household names. Yeah, it's just sounds really cool. Avenger. More, yeah. yeah well, more it definitely will be. Right, right. But, and then Mike to to throw out not a phase, right? Mm-hmm. The what we call these Marvel uh, chapters or whatever. A literal. He's calling it Chapter One: Gods and Monsters. That's that's interesting. It's very comic yeah. booky. And there's like a, there's a sort of a Themyscira pitch that's going to be like about or Wonder Woman's, um, you know, homeland and sort of a Game of Thrones kind of take on that. Um, mm. We'll see how that goes. But I think that's going to be like an HBO show. Um, and then, you know, Batman, he's got ideas for that. So there's going to be a new Batman. That's not going to be Robert Pattinson, but Robert Pattinson's going to exist in his own pocket world. Dimension. Like, he's yeah, allowed the to Joker keep going. You guys dimension. are going like to talk strange about Flash. And stuff. I'll be in space again for that one. Um, yeah. The Flash will be interesting. But again, I just have a lot of faith in James Gunn. So I trust him implicitly of like whatever he's doing. Like I'm definitely going to check it out and I'm going to give it a shot. But he's already done it with DC too. Like Peacemaker. Nobody cared about the character Peacemaker. And then yeah. he made a show about it that was really good. So right. my you know, only counter Gunn. to your counter, Jacob, is that I just – as an adult who's gone through 15 plus years of this, I'm a little tired of the comic book movies and I appreciate sure. James Gunn as a screenwriter so much. I really would have loved to see what he would have done outside of it. And instead he became the head of a studio that only makes comic book movies. The co-CEO. Like, wow, that's a pivot. Yeah. But great. that's kind of, yeah. seems what he wants to do with his career these days is yeah. just do this. And like, obviously he's a very competent genre filmmaker. Like he loves, genre he loves comic books um and the opportunity to become the kevin feige kind of role for dc i mean that's too good to pass up turns Uh, out and for me i was always more of a dc kid than a marvel kid like no offense to marvel characters but other than like spider-man and the x-men i didn't really give a shit about any you know i don't care about iron man thor Mm -hmm. you know when i was a kid you know in the comics and kind of thing but dc I liked, you know, I like DC a lot more. Flash, Batman, Green Lantern. Like, I love those characters. So to finally have a competent yeah. DC universe uh, after, you know, the years of the Snyderverse and all that stuff. No offense to Zack Snyder. I like some of the things he's done, but... All the offense from me. At this point, yeah. I watched freaking Zombie Land of the Dead or whatever. Forget that guy. Right. Dawn of the Dead, written by James Gunn, made by Zack Snyder. That's his best movie. movie. That's Zack yeah. Snyder's yeah. best movie. <laughs> Um, yeah. So no offense, but you know the Snyderverse, it just wasn't working. So they made tons of missteps over the brothers. 
in a lot of ways, they've made missteps. But I have faith in James Gunn. They like, all right, let's get James Gunn to be our Kevin Feige, put this thing back on track. And I have a lot of optimism about it, to be honest. Okay. Well, we are getting into the summer blockbuster times. Like this is a big opening. We get Chris Pratt with two big openings. But for James Gunn going to DC, my only concern is I think he's going to be fine with the little stuff. Like we're doing a Green Lantern that's like true detective, but with superheroes. Like, okay, cool. But when you're dealing with Superman, which is like a singular character, a beloved character, a well-known character, when you think of Suicide Squad, the Guardians movies, and Peacemaker, they're very similar. They have a template. They have a tone. What does that look like applied to a Batman or a Superman? And can it fit or can he adapt? He's he's never gone up against history, Mike. You're very apt to point that out. This is the first time where he will not just be battling the idea of what's a Superman movie. He will be fighting Richard Donner's Superman movie, the first superhero film of all time. He'll be fighting Zack Snyder. He'll have a bunch of weirdos saying, where's Henry Cavill? Um, Why did you fire him? (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be Zack Snyder. Um, Biggest moment. It'll be an, yeah. it'll be interesting test because Superman never my favorite character. He's been done a lot. I I believe James Gunn must have some kind of original take on it to be writing the script for the new Superman movie to have that much faith that he has a good take on it. I'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt and yeah. check it At out. At this point, you know? yeah, I respect him the- too for for taking that and being like, I'm going to write it because you're the head of the thing and like if you do manage to knock this out of the park, you can say. All of the money now for me forever, right? Because I can clearly do it. Like to he put he's putting himself on the line with this, so I can oh, respect it. Mike, if it was announced tomorrow that Jason Blum of Blumhouse Studios was writing the next Halloween film, I'd be like, "That's madness!" Yeah, right. <laughs> right. The only way where this makes sense. Mm-hmm. And like you said, above all, James Gunn is a storyteller, and he he understands that you know the comic book lore backstory all that stuff it's only as important as how well the characters are defined and how well their relationships with each other are defined that's what people really gravitate towards when they're watching something the other mm-hmm. stuff is just bonus right it's like extra fluff you know for the, for nerds like us and stuff that care about that sort of thing it can be fun but what's really important is having strong characters and strong storytelling and i think that's where yeah. he, he comes from that place so i think if he's doing, if he's writing a script, he must have some kind of take on it that's going to be interesting. So yeah. yeah, I don't think he's ever once considered an Easter egg an Easter egg as much as an opportunity. Yeah, yeah. and he has the right in- impulses to break canon when he needs to. So yeah, so far track record good. We'll just see whether or not he delivers because that's the only thing we haven't seen him perform in the postseason, so to speak. He hasn't been on this big of a stage with this big of a property. No. He's always turning a. Uh, chicken shit in a chicken salad so to speak a very very good yeah. chicken salad so he, now he's got in, prime rib what's he gonna do in this video i was watching where he's talking how excited about all these projects he is but he's also having to like talk up the few you know remaining dc movies like Shazam, Shazam 2. 2 you guys you guys gotta come out <laughs> oh yeah yeah, yeah. Aquaman. Saying, like, oh, man. Flash, you guys trust me the flash is like one of the best comic book movies ever made like you guys are gonna be blown away i'm just like i don't know maybe <laughs> We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. But, but yeah, I guess we'll see where he goes. I'm but excited. I think to bring it back to the Guardians Volume 3, I think James Gunn gave us a great little send off, a, a love letter yeah. to these characters that he popularized. And I think it's great the way the movie tries to deal with processing emotions and the way it deals with um, validity of like 
beings. You know, you can be an otter yeah. with robot arms, but you're valid. You can be, you know, a little goofy and, you know, but you're valid. Like non-sentient. Everybody's cool. Like, like everybody's valid. Every walk of life, every different type of life, non-human, etc. And there's this vibe of acceptance coming from it that I think is very cool in a time where there are people trying to make people feel invalid that they exist. So yeah. I like that this movie's here to say no matter who you are, and what you look like, whatever, you're an important person and absolutely. you should exist. And yes. that's been kind of the mythos of Guardians of the Galaxy this whole time, mm-hmm. where they're all these broken characters who've come from broken pasts, have trauma in their past, have something dysfunctional about them that they come together as a team and can kind of work together to, you know, overcome these differences and become this, again, this unlikely family. And that premise just gets me every time the cowboy bebop premise. Yep. So, and even they had to go figure out their own stuff at some point. So it's, it's bittersweet. Endings are bittersweet. We get that with Peter and Gamora. We're getting that with this franchise and these characters, but what a, what a, what a finale. Good job, James. And thanks everybody below and above the line who made this happen. I mean, they did. Yes. And thank you to our listeners. You can hit us up at normies underscore like underscore us, where you can message us and say, uh, I had Guardians 3 at, at 36 on my list of, you know, Marvel, blah, blah, blah. Great. Tell us, you maniac. <laughs> we would love to hear that. I own, a uh, vet, another I, vet, <laughs> I own an animal shelter. I hated this movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm a, yeah, I'm a. Serial killer who hurts dogs in <laughs> no. this film uh, is Vick, against my religion. Yeah. Um, Bad jokes, but anyway. But also, uh, rate, review, subscribe to this podcast because that helps us out quite a bit. Hit up the YouTube link as well where you can watch uh, recordings of these videos as well. Uh, and otherwise, we've been your hosts. This is uh, Colin Warlock. Um, Mike the Podcaster. And this is uh, Jake, it, Jake Kuhn. Blasting off to that forever sky. Forever. Oh. forever. Oh, should we say we are podcast instead of I am podcast? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love you guys. I, I love you podcast. I love you, I love you podcast. <laughs> we didn't say two words about Vin Diesel, by the oh, way. Oh, man. Yeah. We are group. We are group. Group, group, group. Bye. 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 My name is Gandalf the Grey, and I'm imploring you to leave a like, share, and subscribe to this podcast. Don't keep it secret. Don't keep it safe. Don't take me as a conjurer of cheap tricks, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Normies Like Us. Fly, you fools!